This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California in Malibu and Silver Lake. Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and the other Bob, to create a place where addicts are treated with compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades of experience treating all sorts of addiction and other mental illness co-occurring disorders, including SMI. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, like sound bath meditation, surfing, equine therapy, and the super spiritual sweat lodge. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get help, I totally suggest going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at CASL, which of course stands for Clean and Sober Love, the dating app for people who choose a sober way of life. It was created by one addict to help another addict to date safely. So here's the deal. You got clean, you got sober, you got a new life, and now you're ready to date. So where are you supposed to look? Zaybars? CASL is the solution. Dating and recovery is real and worth considering if you have your shit together. CASL is the platform where you can meet like-minded people all over the world. Install the app now on the App Store or Google Play Store. Oh, and by the way, it's completely free. Oh, and also, by the way, CASL has recently added new exciting features. If you're struggling to find some company during COVID, use their video chat app and uh, and get to know the addicts uh, in your neck of the woods. Clean and sober love. I, I totally recommend it. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Pink Cloud. Pink Cloud is the premier 12-step meeting finder app. 
created by a person in recovery for other people in recovery. Find meetings in small towns, big cities, and everywhere in between, no matter where you are, anywhere in the world. They've got over 245,000 meetings to search for, from AA, NA, CMA, even Al-Anon and Alateen. When COVID hit, they started adding Zoom meetings. They've added over 22,000 online meetings worldwide, and they're happy to announce there's online options now in all 50 states. And as of this week, they have over 1,500 virtual Narcotics Anonymous meetings to choose from as well. They are consistent, stable, and well-designed. Use Pink Cloud with peace of mind. A beautiful rhyme. Totally anonymous. No profiles, logins, usernames, or connections to social media. And absolutely zero data is collected from users. Pink Cloud also includes a growing set of tools for your sober toolbox. Bookmarking meetings and tracking attendance, watching for resentments, taking your own inventory and not your friends, creating special prayers, and keeping a journal. They are all features of the app. If meetings are important to your recovery, download Pink Cloud and make your life easier. Available on the App Store, on Apple, or the Google Play Store. Check it out today. And there is a dopiest story Pink Cloud contest. Whoever can come up with the dopiest tweet will receive a lifetime subscription to Pink Cloud and a dopey t-shirt. Dave and Jason of Pink Cloud will pick the winner, and that is me and Jason of Pink Cloud will pick the winner, and uh, we'll announce it on the next episode. Make sure you tag Dopey and Pink Cloud in the tweet. We want the dopiest tweet possible. Check out Pink Cloud now. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at BetterHelp.com. What interferes with your happiness? Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Connect in a safe and private online environment. It is so convenient. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. It is all without having to sit in the uncomfortable confines of a waiting room. Better help is amazing. They help with depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT issues, grief, self-esteem, and of course, addiction. They are convenient, professional, affordable, and I know it's good because Ray told me it's good. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a dopey listener, you will get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash dopey podcast. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash dopey podcast. Ask Ray, the shit is fire. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the most important members of all, the members of the Dopey Nation, through the power and passion of the Dopey Patreon page. It's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. It's fucking this week on Dopey Patreon, the incomparable Tina from back in the day really spills her guts on Patreon, and it is so good, and I never say that. 
Uh, maybe I always say it, but Tina is especially fiery and brilliant. So please check out Tina on Dopey Patreon. All the Patreon um, content is completely free. If you want to throw a few bucks, it is unbelievably helpful to the future of Dopey. If you throw two bucks a month, we're talking about 50 cents a week, which breaks down to pennies a day for all the Dopey you can stomach. And uh, it helps keep the show happy, joyous, and free, and it will help me to get out of the deli. So please check out Dopey Patreon and kick, kick down a few bucks. Also, there is amazing gear available at the Dopey store at www.dopeypodcast.com. We have a very, very exciting thing happening at the end of the, the summer, and that is we're slashing prices for summer stimuli and for uh, COVID appreciation. You think I'm crazy? Everything in the Dopey store is reduced by 10% until the end of August. Use the discount code of DOPEY10, and you can receive 10% off. Also, we have Good So Bad long sleeves, Good So Bad tank tops, and all of your other Dopey favorites. If you want fancy stickers, I got tons of fancy stickers. In other news, I haven't shipped in like four weeks, but I am shipping this week. So if you are waiting on an order, you will be waiting not much longer. Enough with the fucking ads. Here is the show. And welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And for the first time ever, my friend Ray has ventured to Sayville, New York, and recording with me in the dining room right now, and is recording with me in the dining room right now. I'm in Dopey Central, the empire. I'm in the, the, the Dopey Empire. What do you think, Ray? It's amazing. What, what have you gathered from your journey the, out to the suburbs? There's a football field in your backyard. Can you believe what I have going on here? Your neighbors have yachts in their backyard. They, your neighbors have canals with yachts in their backyard. Not, those aren't my neighbors. Let's get steal with reality, right? Tell, tell the Dopey Nation how, how nice we're living out here. It's a beautiful neighborhood. There's like Victorian houses with like manicured lawns and... Hydrangeas and southern magnolias. Tell the Dopey Nation how nice a meal I got you. We had uh, uh, eggplant parmesan and uh, vegetables and pasta, and it was delicious. So, can, are you are you happy to have finally seen the inner sanctum of Dopey? Yeah, it was like going through the looking glass, and we took the drive that I take with you every morning, except we did it in real life, and like I pictured it, you were driving through like an industrial wasteland <laughs> <laughs> on the way to Starbucks, like beside a highway with like, and it's like this like... You're usually like blind on the road, and all you hear are the sounds, and now yes. you, everything is, is there. I, I swear I pictured you like going across railroad tracks and like warehouses, and it's like all these like cedar shingled houses and the country club and the ocean and well it was like that isn't it yeah dude you know what happened uh we we went on vacation as everybody knows and uh we dropped off susan last sunday and i was going to pick her up and it was a rainy night and i was wall to wall with stuff and i pick her up and i'm driving home and i get pulled over for going through a stop sign you didn't tell me this part i got pulled over for going through a stop sign a rolling stop i don't even know i don't even know I don't know what the hell happened. And the guy comes up to me and he goes, 
he like he, like it's a SUV cop car yeah. and he like walks up to me all slowly and I'm like I have Susan in the car screaming and I'm like are there drugs in the car like I'm just like <laughs> panicking like I did like I don't know where the registration is it's yeah. Linda's car he's like license and registration I give him my license I can't find the registration he's like do you have an excuse for why you went through the stop sign and I was like no, I don't. I don't have an excuse. Do you say I'm a sovereign citizen? I don't have to provide you with anything. No, I didn't even think of that. I just said I don't have an excuse, and then I'm panicking because I'm I'm not I'm not used to dealing with cops, and um and I couldn't find the uh, registration. He's like, don't worry about it. Is Susan screaming? Susan, Susan, and he goes, oh, I see you have a kid in the car, and you went through a stop sign on a rainy night. Imagine if somebody biked out of their driveway tonight, and I would have been. I was like, that would have been terrible, sir. Um, and I was like, I can't find the registration. And he was like, one second, sir. And he walks back to the car, and he's back there for like 20 minutes. And I'm sure he's going to find something. He's that I'm running did, your license. Running my life. And I'm sure he's going to find something about me. Felonies. And then he's going to call child services, and, and Susan's going to go to the pound and get locked <laughs> up in some cat carrier. And we've, got, we've got the sticker applier here. Yeah, the Oive bandit. <laughs> so they, uh, they fucking give me a ticket for going through the stop sign. How and much? then he gives me a ticket for, for going speeding. And uh, the speed limit there was 30 miles an hour. And guess what I was going? 31? 33. And he gives me a ticket. That seems excessive. He was a big, muscular, Aryan guy. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to write you up with three tickets. One for running through a stop sign. One for going 33 in a 30-mile zone. And one for being Jewish in a really white town. (laughs) Um, It really felt like that, though. It was fucked up. Um, I mean, sure, Jews run the world, but they don't run this They don't run Sayville. No, they don't. (laughs) Um, And it fucked me up. and I'm going to go fight. I'm going to go to court and yeah, fight. Yeah, if you just show up, I heard, like, if you just show up, you always win because they don't show up. So, like, overall, you would say well, you're impressed with the quality of life here. I would say, if the yes. And I would say when the judge sees that you were going 33 in a 30, he's going to laugh at that. That's ridiculous. It's he's going to throw that out, It's right? got to be over 35 at least. Or, like, yeah, exactly. And you could say this. It was a rolling stop. Say, I applied my brakes. I did not come to a so complete stop. Yeah, say you apply brakes, but you did not come to a complete stop. It was a rolling stop. I don't have to say anything. There's going to be a no, lawyer. I'm not, not going to have to say anything. You're going to have a lawyer? There's going to be a public defender, whatever. He's going to take my tickets. He's going to say, what do you want? And I'm going to say, do what you can. I don't want points. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, you don't want points. And that, that's, just, that's I can't believe plan. we started the show because I'm sitting here... And you said, are you falling asleep? And I said, yes. And then you're like, welcome to Dopey. I'm like, oh, here we go. Ray got out here at like... Uh, six, six twenty, six thirty-six. Yeah, I took him on a guided tour of the town. I got a nice meal, and then Linda started talking to him. And Linda like did her episode of Dopey before I got my gear downstairs and <laughs> wore Ray out. Ray's spent. He had a big meal. He had we a piece of chocolate. Politics. He's passing out at the table. It's not good. Yeah, I just had some chocolate. Ray's sponsor was like, because I live across uh, the bay from Fire Island, which is known for hardcore gay shenanigans. And if you guys know anything about Ray, he's down with the G-Folk movement, <laughs> including a lot of gay shenanigans. Um, and he said, we don't, I don't want you going to Fire Island and, and, and getting down and dirty. Uh, yeah, he also was like, make sure that the wife is okay with you visiting and you having dinner and doing the show there. What does that mean? That he just wanted to make sure that it wasn't just that it was okay with everybody in the household, not just you inviting me. 
So what, you're going to come out here, Linda's going to be like, no, it's not okay, and then you're going to be like, bye. That's why I said that. I was like, are you sure Linda's okay with this? You asked me on the phone, or you asked me, when did you I ask asked me? you. Yeah, I asked you at some point. Linda. Uh, usually I have to butter Linda up during the week to get her to come on the show, and I usually have to make sure that like I don't fuck anything up if yeah. she's coming on the show. But this week, she's doing her podcast right, tomorrow, tomorrow. So I think she let this happen because she needs me to do that tomorrow. Oh, because her friend's going to come over. Yes. Right. Tip for tat. Exactly. Actually, when I got on the Long Island Railroad, I remembered I had sex on the Long Island Railroad years ago. In the bathroom or in no, public? In the in the seat. How did that even work? I went to Robert Moses State Park, and um, oh God. there's all this cruising in the dunes there, which I looked at, I observed, I didn't participate, and then I went to go back, and I went to the, you take a shower, and there was a guy in the shower, and we said hello, and then we got on the train, the same train, and then we just started fooling around, and then it wound up full sex, not full sex, but... But sex, half sex, half in, sex, half sex in the in the double seater and the LIRR. Yeah, we were in a pretty empty car. It's like risky. It's like gay risky business. Yes, exactly. I've always wanted to make love on a real train. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of news, a lot of lot of news in Dopeyland. Oh yeah, and uh, I'm going to tell you about some of the news. You don't have to, you don't have to look at my extensive These show notes. Notes are like a novel now. There's some really good news, and then there's some really terrible news. Do you remember when the notes were like something scrawled on a napkin? Yeah, that was last week. (laughs) (laughs) What happened is I got my printer to work. And when I have a printer, I print out nice notes. So I printed out nice... And you were coming. I I wanted to buy you a nice meal. I wanted to give you a nice piece of chocolate. And I wanted to have nice notes. Um, And there's really good news, and then there's really terrible news. And the really good news is that today, and, and also Dopey Nation, right now it is Friday night at 8.54. The show is going to come out in an hour or something. Or No, Matt, me. Matt Wiedermeyer is waiting. I know. This morning I saw Waiting for Tonight. I was <laughs> yeah, like, it's dude. a long wait. I was like, I don't have anything. I, I was going to I saw. That. I was on the train coming out. And I was like, Waiting for Tonight. I'm like, it's not even started. It's a miracle that a show comes out every week. It's a it's a fucking dopey miracle. I remember one time I was on Dopey Zoom and they're like, "What are you going to do after the Dopey Zoom when it ends at seven thirty? I was like, "I'm going to do the show." And they're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, somebody said that somebody was very very like aghast when I said I couldn't do something because I had to record the show on a Friday on night. A Friday night. <laughs> but um, but I do two shows a week, and that also reminds me. I'm oh, going to say this again: the Patreon this week was bananas good. Oh, the music. No, that was last week. Was oh, Tina. Music. This Tina. week was Tina, and today Tina celebrates 11 months. So congratulations, Tina. Tina has been listening to the show since we were three months in. Oh, you know, congratulations, she, uh, Tina. And, uh, and we love Tina, and congratulations, Tina. And the Patreon is fucking amazing. I wonder amazing. how many people were listening at three months, like 10, right? No, I think A 100? I think... When I was on... Episode 28 in 2017, you told me nobody listens to the show. That was 2016. 2016. You told me nobody listens to the show. Well, I was just trying to make you feel relaxed. <laughs> I still say nobody listens to the show. Um, I think there was probably a couple hundred people listening, or maybe just a hundred. I don't remember. I think you'd have to go back and check. Also today is Charlotte's six-month day. So congratulations, Charlotte. She's one of the dopey she scholarship. She got a scholarship, right? Yeah. She's, I think I've talked to Charlotte. Yeah, on she's Zoom. awesome. She's awesome. She's at Turnbridge in, uh, in New Haven. And, and my daughter is going to make an appearance on Dopey. Nora, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm not really going to say anything. I just want to know. 
Wait, Daddy. Yes. Where's the purple blanket for Ray's bed? Uh, I, I don't know. But you know what I want you to do? Let's do a little Hamilton, and I'll be the hype man, and you do Hamilton. Dun, 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 dun. You don't want to do it? Nor is making... Nora's making up my bed. You know that I don't know where the blanket is. I'm sleeping. Dave has offered me I, to sleep in the crawl space under his house. That yeah. looks good. Thank you. Bye, Dopey Nation. Bye. You don't want to do Hamilton? No. Nora's obsessed with Hamilton. I heard y'all do it. Oh, you did it in the car. And I was the hype man. I couldn't believe Nora knew the whole thing. She'd memorized the entire thing, and Dave was the hype man. It was great. Um, So now going from fun, nice stuff to terrible stuff, yes, Charlotte was the recipient of six months to Turnbridge in Connecticut, and she's doing great, and that place is taking good care of her. Um, And on the antithesis, there was a woman named Danielle who got a dopey scholarship to a place in Florida. She left after being there for maybe two weeks. Uh, my friend, Justin, who's been facilitating the dopey scholarships, told her mother that if she came home, there was a good chance she was going to die, and she died. Oh, no. Right away. Um, and uh, it's just uh, a terrible thing. And, uh, you know, my heart goes out to her family, and um, this is the deal. You know, dopey's a good time until... Somebody dies, and um, I don't want to make light of it, but, like, I mean, like, people who are using in the Dopey Nation, like, just know that it's very easy to not come back from it. This, a few episodes, maybe in the fall, there was, like, a really heavy voicemail that I didn't see coming, and I didn't see that on the notes, so I didn't read the notes, so I didn't see that coming. That's terrible. But then Dave said something about, it's very common when people come out of rehab that they're prone to overdosing at that moment because their tolerance is down and they're not they're, they're not used to whatever is is you know whatever dope or fentanyl or drug that they're using they're not used to it and they're not ready for it and often they'll do what they used to do and Danielle couldn't handle it and we're we're very sorry to her family and and sorry that she didn't make it and if you're really struggling out there and you want a dopey scholarship we might be able to get you one, but I beg of you, uh, don't go unless you really want to do it, unless you're really willing to take the plunge and commit. Um, and if you are, please let me know. And then another bad news is friend of Dopey, Kristen Johnston, the actress who was on Third Rock of, from the Sun, and she wrote a book called Guts. Her sister also died of, oh, no. uh, of an overdose this week. Oh, no. So we have That's two, terrible. Yeah, we have two anniversaries and two deaths. And um, and that's the deal, right? That's very sad. I, re- I really like that episode with Kristen Johnson. I thought she was great. She's also super kind, friend of the show. She participated in Dopey Day. She's down to come back on. Um, so- I saw her in a great show. It was like two blocks from my house before she was known. It was it was every Saturday night, and she was in this like play that would start at midnight and it would go to like three a.m. It ran for like months, and she was like she played the mother. And it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. It's called Hot Keys. And my, then she became famous for Third Rock after that. You know, my dad is incredible, is extremely attracted to Kristen Johnson. She's beautiful. Extremely attracted. She seems like to her. she's very tall. She very is very tall. tall. Yeah. Very tall and very down to earth and very kind. And look for her to return to Dopey 
soon. She's on that mom show, right? She's on that show, Mom, yes. And that was the only, if I was going to criticize myself for anything about the Kristen Johnston interview, it would be that I didn't talk enough about Mom. Well, you know, when I first got sober, my sponsor said, I know this is going to sound corny, it's like a sitcom, uh, network sitcom, but watch Moms, it's very informative and it's funny. And I did, and I enjoyed it. Okay, well, when Kristen Johnston comes on, I promise I'll talk about mom. And, uh, and, and more importantly, Ray, you haven't been on the show in a few weeks. Yeah. It's always, and it's, it's a pleasure to this have you. This always scares me when you say something like this. Why? What are you going to say? What are you building up to? What, what have I done in the last three weeks? Well, I mean, you've been a, a, you know, a dog in your program. You're like fucking killing yourself. Ray has written three practice fourth Four. steps. Four. We, pra- I haven't even heard of a practice. We've been step. practicing the fourth step for a month. Explain that to me. So he said, write out your fourth, pick five items that are real. And so I wrote five different things. And then we critiqued each one and decided and whittled them down and edited them. And we did this every day on the phone. Some days we just talked, but then... So for four weeks, now they're perfect. And I thought, well, now I'm going to do the fourth step. And yesterday, we just went over it on Zoom. And he's like, congratulations, you're now ready to pick another five, and we'll practice on those for a month. But what exactly does the practice look like? It's editing the way that it's worded. Of like, Give me an example. Mr. Brown. Um, fucked my wife. Fucked my wife. I hate him. I hate him. And, but it'd be like, you have to elaborate on some things, and you have to like, Edit some parts down. So who do you know? Who do I know that you resent? Am I on the list? You're the number one person. On I'm the, list. the number one no, offender. No, there's nobody you know on the list. Well, what? Like so, one. Can person, you reveal anything? Yeah, there's one person that's on the list. Was a, a booker in Dublin booked me, and we agreed on. Did the, his name rhyme with Rob? No, it did not. And uh, uh, so at the end of the night, the bartender wouldn't pay the band, and. And then um, the next day I contacted the booker And I was like They wouldn't pay me Even though they made thousands Like there was like I don't know 500 people in the bar Like buying beer constantly They made so much And it embarrassed me in front of my friends It hurt my financial security It did You know all this fourth step stuff And but like So you're checking off boxes there Yeah Financial insecurity What are the boxes to check off? It hurt my self-esteem My pride My financial security He's like Did it really hurt your financial security? And I'm like No He's like It hurt your pocketbook Which is just like Day to day Dude look at you You're like an encyclopedia Of four steps He's like To not get $300 for a gig Did not affect you It just meant that like you had to pay for the cabs because they don't have back lines in Ireland, so you bring your own amps and drums. So we had to, I had to pay for cabs, so I lost money on the gig, and it embarrassed me. And then, But it, in character defects, it's like it hurt my pride. It hurt my, uh, my character defects with self-centeredness. This is all about me. It's also dishonesty. Slow because, down. This is really good okay, stuff. I told her, yes, we will pay, play a three-hour gig where we do covers. So we were going to be like a bar band. And I'm like, fuck that shit. I'm just going to do my own stuff. And we'll do Freebird like three times. And Did you do Freebird three we times? We did Freebird three times. Did you do three bird? Yeah, we did uh, uh, whatever other. Uh, we did uh, Margaritaville. And then we did my set. And then I had a friend guest. And we did three hours, but we didn't do it like they asked us to do it. But that's not why they didn't pay us. But also, they didn't pay us because I, in my act, I yell out, who's got the cocaine? And I kept saying that, but I didn't know it was being broadcast to the street in front of the bar. 
and I didn't know that the bartenders sell cocaine under the table there. Mm. So it was a touchy issue for them. Right. And so afterwards... I bet they, you did, they did good business because of the... the, the who's got cocaine? The bartenders have it at Chennai in Dublin. Um, <laughs> They're going to come after you. Yeah. Now you're going to have to make an amend. <laughs> but anyway, but it was just... So we write out... The, the first one was the booker, Christina, a.k.a. Jack of Diamonds. And then what happened is like... I First I wrote a, all this shit. Like the bartenders wouldn't pay me and she wouldn't pay me and then embarrassed me. And then all that, he's like, all it is is... Wouldn't pay the band, embarrassed me in front of my friends. Um, she thinks I'm weak and stupid. This is great. This, uh, your sponsor is fucking good. It whittled that. That's, this is the final one. Oh, I was going to bring them. And then the, that hurt, like uh, pride, self-esteem, and pocketbook. And then those others, like dishonesty, because I was dishonest about, I said I would play three hours of covers. Sloth, because... I didn't. We did not practice to get three hours of covers. <coughs> so there's another one: arrogance, thinking I know better what's better for this club than the club. Amazing. And this this sponsor, like I had my doubts about this sponsor, as did the Dopey Nation. Oh man, they attacked him. This guy is gonna whittle you from a, a hunk of clay to a twelve stepping warrior. I love this sponsor. I also love that he is like without me prompting him and without asking if it's okay he is he throws out every variation of fag and faggot every time we talk i'm like i like that i mean some people don't but what i do think it's mean? funny what does he say he's just like throws that word around how like, give me an example like faggotry or faggalicious give me an or, example i can't think of give one give me an example he's just very funny faggalicious when is it well, faggotry when does he come with that I don't stuff know. He's like very secure using that word. He's like, look at the fagulas on the train. Because <laughs> yes. what does he say? I don't, can't remember. But I think he lives in kind of a gay world. I think his wife has like a lot of gay friends. So he enjoys your gayness for him. I think. Do you I, think he's part of the G folk era? No, I don't. <laughs> now, um, I think I think by the time you're done with this thing, you're going to be like a fucking twelve stepping machine. As much as I loved my last sponsor, this is a totally different experience. Well, you're 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 fucking full on, but you were also. I mean, my favorite quote from Ray, and uh, it was in the beginning of COVID. And 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 if you guys listen to the show, you've heard some serious emotional tumult at a Ray. And um, he came on the show and he said, "Dude." I was suicidal, and now I'm washing my groceries all in <laughs> yes. 10 days. And I think that's like, you were like, I got to fucking get my head on straight. Yeah. You know? I, also, I, I texted you, but I also texted my sponsor. I'm like, I'm thinking about wishing that guy in Dublin a happy birthday. And Dave and him were like, don't know. That's a very bad idea. My, I called you up screaming <laughs> yeah, yeah, at you. I lost my fucking mind. <laughs> I mean, like... Oh, but you know what? Something I wanted to say. You, the last time I was on, this is off topic, you said uh, um, Pet Sounds or Sgt. Pepper. And that was Patreon, but yes. Yeah. But... And then I was watching this amazing Brian Wilson video of Smile with like a huge orchestra. And I'm yes. like, the question is Smile or Sgt. Pepper? I don't know Smile well enough. And, I, and, I, and you don't like Sgt. Pepper. Oh, but the answer is Smile. But the other one is it's Rubber Soul or Pet Sounds. I'm taking Rubber Soul. I find Pet Sounds to be dreary. I'll take Sgt. Pepper's over <laughs> Pet Sounds. I, listen, I'm going to say this. And, and we're going to move on. But this yeah. is a good rock and roll segue. Um, basically... I like Pet Sounds. 
it's it's in a moody piece. Yeah, you know, it's got a couple. It's got. It what, sounds happy, but it's not. What's on Pet Sounds? Uh, God only knows. Caroline no. Caroline no. Sloop John B. The instrumentals. Um, I wasn't made for times like these, yeah. which is like the most beautiful song ever. It's like fucking amazing. You, you've got to listen to Smile. It's amazing. That I wasn't made for times like these. I think he plays a baritone harmonica on it. I think one of the dudes from the Wrecking from Crew, the Wrecking Crew yeah. plays a baritone harmonica. Now, I just want to... Um, Linda, oh, look who's coming! Look who's coming to say hello. Come say hello. <laughs> Linda looks beautiful in her very hippie pants. And hello, everyone. That's your hello. <laughs> what do you think about having the great Ray of the G folk era? I love. I wanted to just keep hanging out with Ray. I heard you saying that me and Ray had our own episode while you were who knows what you were we doing. Should, we should have recorded that. We should. Me and Ray talk, covered like politics. We covered like thirty things. You should have Ray as the, as the first masculine gay guest on the Motherload podcast oh, tomorrow night. It would be the, the best load. guest, the Brotherload. Brotherload tomorrow Ew. night. So who? <laughs> maybe not brother. Maybe leave the load out. So Lynn, are you? Yeah, brother, brotherly load podcast. So Lynn, are you excited to do your podcast tomorrow night? I'm, we're nervous, but we're excited. We're going to see how it goes. Ladies in the Dopey Nation, look out for Motherload and Brotherload coming <laughs> soon. Come Saturday night? Coming no. Saturday no. night with Brotherload. We're, we're going to see how it goes, but yeah, we're excited. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good, but we don't, you know, we've never done it before. And um, this mother, Motherload. You want Ray to do the theme song? Ray, we need someone to do mu- to, we need someone to do the music. I'll try. I'll think of something tonight. Something snappy. I liked what you just sang. That was the do, dopey do, dopey do podcast. Song. When I'm down in the basement tonight, I'll come up with something. When he's when he's, when he's serenading the spiders downstairs. <laughs> just keep it with mother load and not brother load. So we're gonna go to the. Um, we have a special okay, guest. Go. Where are you gonna go? I have. Th- I'm, I- what are you doing? You're going to go watch Dirty John? I finished Dirty John. I'm going to watch, um, I think I'm behind on an episode of the New York Housewives. That show, man. Later. <laughs> Did you see them talking about your accent on the Dopey Nation Facebook group? They like oh, how, my accent? Yeah, they, say, they like how you they, say they daughter, it. and you say pocket. say daughter. You say daughter and pocketbook <laughs> instead of pocketbook. The one word that Linda really says wrong is mirror. She can't say mirror. She says, mirror, look into the mirror. mirror. I don't hear it. I don't huh? hear an accent. Mirror. It's mirror. Mirror. <laughs> it's mirror. Mirror in the how bathroom. You, how do you say it, Ray? Mirror? Yeah, you sound like me. No, he says Maybe. mirror. Linda, say, say the word. Wow, the microphone just got bought really close. Mirror. Yeah, yeah. You, that's not how you say it. That's not, that's not how she says it at all. I don't know how I say it. You say, know. you say, Nora, come look in the mirror with me. Mirror? Mirror. Um, Nora, put on your merrills in the mirror. You know what? You're not. It, it must, is it hard to be so perfect? For me? Just everything Dave does is perfect. Right. You think everything, so? You say everything right. Yes. The way he rolls through stop signs. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then it's like doesn't know how to read the ticket, doesn't understand it. I got, I got a. a if it was uh, up to Dave, it'd be shoved in a drawer, and they'd come, and you'd get, you'd get. Listen, be a warrant out for I'm gonna, house. I'm gonna be very clear. My role is to provide food and money 
for this family. So you, you can you can get you can get traffic tickets. Your speed, role is to read read the mail for me because I my brain can't come. I got what do we get today in the mail? That that thing the a collection agency. A collection agency a because you know what it was from? I've gotten that before. Too. It was yeah. from Stony Brook Emergency. I okay. figured out it was from me going to get the COVID test and like I didn't okay. see a bill and I can't. I, I look at those and I like see Chinese. It's Twenty dollars, just pay it. All right, I gotta go. Yeah, I've I've gotten okay. collections from like things like that for like twenty bucks that I didn't pay. And then it really can like bite you in the ass, so pay it. It gets on your credit. That's 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 your responsibility, Lynn. You need to look in the mirror. <laughs> All right, so our guest this week is a, a heavy, heavy, heavy character in the world of rock and roll. His name is Matt Pinfield. I know Matt Pinfield. He was on 120 Minutes. He was on MTV. He's had countless shows on Spotify and Sirius. He, is, he was inducted and, and awarded in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But recently he got into this terrible accident where he was crossing the street going to a meeting and he got hit by a car. And his leg got severed in half and his brain like cut open. And, uh, and then after that, he wound up relapsing. And uh, he's coming on the show well, to I, tell his story. I listened. You sent me the interview, and I listened to half of it, and I thought, I'll listen to the other half on the train, and I totally forgot about it. Well, so, you listen to the other half of it now. Now, okay. And here's Matt Pinfield. I am super honored to have one of my longtime heroes on the phone. He's been on Dopey before, but he's been through the ringer since then. Matt Pinfield, welcome back to the show. Dave, how are you, man? It's good to be back. Dude, um, last time you were on, Chris was still alive, and uh, I remember we recorded it at his house. His parents have a house in the Hamptons, and I remembered we talked a bunch about music and David Bowie and Oasis, and Chris hated that I talked to you about music, and he was like, I wish, I wish you hadn't talked about music so much with him, and I was like, dude, this guy's awarded by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's one of my like legend musicologists radio people vh1 mtv people he fucking created 120 minutes uh, well you know my point chris was incredibly resentful that we talked music but i'm so happy you're back on the show yeah you know and it's it's really i mean you know, i'm so sorry what happened with chris you know and um i uh you know i'm i just uh you know that made that made me sad when i got the news that we lost chris i, I gotta say and you know this is such a serious disease i mean it's it's no joke. I mean, I, uh, you know, I went through so much since we last talked and during COVID, of course, I relapsed and, you know, I started drinking again. Uh, and I think, you know, it was definitely one of those things where, I mean, the isolation, as we've talked about, you know, in, in the past is so, so bad for, for addicts and alcoholics. And for me, you know, I have such an incredible amount of fellowship and friendship out here. Um, yes, like so many people in the program in recovery that I spend so much time with, I still do. In fact, now that, you know, people aren't on complete lockdown, I do see a lot of those people and I do go to, uh, you know, meet recovery meetings that are, uh, you know, outside that are so with social distances is safe, you know, safe, what they consider safe social distancing. So I go to a lot of them and I'm still on a lot of the zoom meetings as well. Yeah, my meeting has been uh, totally preserved because it was always an outdoor meeting. I want to hear about what happened, though. I mean, like, we were in touch, and then I looked up, and I saw you got into this terrible accident. Um, what happened exactly? 
Oh, so uh, yeah, I was trying to remember the last time we connected. So this was before the accident. Really? Wow. We, yeah, we, um, we we connected I think in the winter of like 2017. I think it was a while. Oh ago. yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. That's so we got a lot to talk about. All right, you know, it was incredible because you know, I was um I was literally walking across the street. It was a Monday night. It's actually the night of my home group. So I, I was across the street from where I live in Hollywood and you know, there's like a little Thai restaurant over there that I go to quite a bit. Uh, this little mom and pop Thai restaurant and a coffee shop. So I'll go over there. And it was kind of like my thing where at least once or twice a week I'd go over there. I get, I go get Thai food and then I'd go over to the coffee shop, grab a coffee before I would go back and get ready to hit my home group, my, uh, my meeting, you know? And, um, so I was walking across the street and it was unusually quiet that night with traffic and Franklin Avenue off the 101 highway. Uh, anybody who's listening that knows that part of Los Angeles knows how busy these streets are. Right. And there's tons of accidents out there all the time, which I never really was aware of until after I got out of the hospital and then, you know, found out how many people had died getting hit on the street over there. And, uh, so I was crossing the street and I, you know, I'm, 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 everything's, I'm looking both ways. Everything seems clear. I get into the third lane. I'm almost, almost across. And I, and I'm looking in one direction. Then I turn to my right and I see a car gunning towards me, literally going around 40 miles an hour. I mean, it was, it was, it was moving fairly, really fast. So I went to jump up and out of the way. And when I jumped up, the bumper caught my leg and it broke my leg in half, the oh. bottom part of my leg. So I had a compound fracture that the bone was out of my leg. I went up through the windshield with my head oh. and, um, and I went into the windshield, into the car. I was conscious for the entire thing, but it happened so fast that I had not even realized that I'd gone through the windshield. It, you know, it tore my head open. Uh, uh, the woman hit the brakes. I spun off the hood of the car. And I remember the smell of the engine. There's funny, it's funny the way your senses work. That at, that early, at that moment, I could smell the engine and feel the heat. Uh, and then I uh, literally, and it's the, December 3rd, right? So I, and 2018. So I, I literally, once she hit the brakes, spun off the hood of her car, flew 15 feet in the air away from the hood of the car, landed on my back and the back of my head. Oh my God. And a miracle was that I wasn't paralyzed. Or but I was. I mean, you could have been. So you yeah. could have been easily killed in that situation. Oh, oh yeah. And it, you know, I would have been crushed under the car had I not seen it out of the corner of my eye. That's how fast this thing happened. And um, so I was laying on the street. There were there were definitely people out there, witnesses, and you know, my phone survived. I mean, it was thrown. Obviously, they never found like my sneakers, but they, you know, my phone survived. I saw one person who was a neighbor. They went and found the phone. I called my ex-girlfriend. I've since broken up with her, but, um, I was, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. That, you know, it was, uh, it just wasn't working, but, um, I, uh, called her. She had been down in, uh, you know, Orange County where her family is from. And then I just, you know, let her know what happened. They, all these people were outside. They had called the ambulance. It took them nine minutes to get there, which was a long time considering they're very close uh, which was kind of, that was lame. It, it took them not long to get there. Totally. Because I was bleeding out all over the place. And in fact, there were some neighbors who said to other neighbors, 
oh, it's just some guy with a with a red beard and and, and red hair, and it was that was blood. I mean, there's no red beard, you know what I mean? So I was just covered in blood. If I had severed that one artery in my leg, you would have been that dead. bleeds Nine out minutes. in five minutes. Right. I would have been dead. Right. You know? So so I got very very. I mean, it was I was lucky. I could have smashed my face. I mean, there was it was just incredible how blessed I was because you know even the, the scar that you see today, like when you see me, you know, like doing stuff online or on, on access TV or whatever, it, it looks really, it looks really good. The guy did an incredible job. So, but I'll back up a second. So I'm there for nine minutes. I realized at one point I'm in adrenaline shock and I, I'm trying to like almost lift myself off the ground and I can't tell whether I'm dying or not at this point. I just literally try to lift myself off the ground and then I look down and my leg was like, you know, like a pretzel. So I, I, you know, I, of course, laid back down. I knew that I couldn't move. And I, you know, eventually I came there. They brought this yellow tarp and they put me on this tarp. And then they put me inside the EMS truck. They cut all my bloody clothes off. Stuck a knee, like I stuck an IV in my arm and uh, asked me if I could feel my toes. And I and they go, can you feel your toes? And I, and I said, yes, I can. And they looked at me and they said, you're a fucking miracle, man. They go, we've seen people died or were hit it, it, it took a lot less of an impact that you had than you had and so the next thing i know we get to the cedar sinai hospital and i hear doctors talking um and at that period of time um i can't see because they've got my tape my you know my face taped up so but i hear one go hey are you gonna use staples on them and then the other one goes no, no, no. I'm a fan of this guy. I watched this guy on TV growing up. He's nice. <laughs> and so he took his time sewing me up and talking about like ACDC and Sabbath or something. You know, like if I can remember right. Were you conscious? Remember, Were you conscious at that point? Yes, I was conscious. And did they did they hit you up with any like great medicine where you were getting to feel a little bit of a... Of, of no, I, I didn't feel... No, I didn't feel any kind of euphoria. sensation of being yes. high. I, yes. But I definitely, they were trying to kill the pain. I mean, they gave me some morphine. Dude, you got, morphine. You, got, you got hit so bad, there is no way that you could deal with being conscious with, with, without a painkiller. You know, like, it makes sense. Continue. I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah. No, you know, so that was the story. So it was very, very, you know, I mean, like anybody else who knows, who's listening, that has had an injury like this, it's a lot of pain and it's a lot of work. You know what I mean? But, it, but I mean, I was determined immediately and i think people said that i had such a positive attitude that it really blew them away that i because i every day like i they would have a you know shrink come in there a psychologist psychiatrist and just say are you feeling suicidal are you your morale your your morale is everything in that situation right it really is i mean you know and and i knew i was lucky to be alive so that's how i looked at it i looked at they half full instead of they half empty and i Really, I mean, I was just—I was super. Gra- I was just so grateful to be alive at that period of time. And I am, um, and I remember, you know, just like how hard it was to walk to get on my on this uh, walker and get down the hallway on the one leg into the area, the giant X room where the exercise, uh, all the equipment and the different things were. And you know, when I hear you talk about walking down the hall to the to the machine and everything and I'm thinking you're going like an inch at a time to get there and it totally reminds me of what people have to do to get out of 
you know, the end of their addiction. You know, it's one little bit at a time. And then you figured out, you know, then you limped your way to everything that you loved. It's good. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was amazing because, you know, the L.A. music community was so great to me because, you know, the rocks, like, I, you know, I've been doing so much charity stuff since I got out of treatment this last time. So today I have 106 days. Like, as we record this show, um, we, I have 106 days sober. Right on. We love to hear about sobrieties. That's fucking amazing. But let's back up. I want to hear what it was like after you recovered from the injury and you started going back to the clubs and everything. How did that happen? Everybody was just so helpful and warm so that I could go to shows constantly. And I was out all the time. Well, you were a pillar. You're a pillar of Los Angeles rock and roll. You're a pillar of rock and roll. I mean, in a lot of ways... You know, you had this dream and this love, and it it became you. You know, just the fact that all of the musicians that you loved wound up loving you is a pretty amazing story in itself. I'm very grateful for that, Dave, you know? And, and I mean, when this, you know, like, during this last relapse, I mean, I was blown away by that, and we'll, we'll talk about that. I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, like I said, seven months I was walking again, and it, I was just so grateful. I mean, I went from... The walker, right? And it's, it's very painful. Of course, people know that I've had these kind of injuries. And then I went to a cane. And my friend Dave Buckner, who was the original drummer of Papa Roach, had a cane made for me of, uh, with a skeleton head on it. Um, um, and then, um, then uh, it was bro- <laughs> somebody broke it. I, uh, you know, somebody broke the cane. And then another friend of mine, speaking of recovery, one of my best friends in the world, who lives in Long Island, you know, also works in the music business. Um, he found out my cane had gotten broken. Is it is it uh, Billy Joel? Um, no, I can't. Actually, no, but no, but I'll just say that no, this person is also in the recovery, and they, when they got clean, uh, their sponsor uh, was dying of leukemia. He, he found out like late in life he had leukemia, and he had a cane that he left to him. So this cane has unbelievable mojo and spirit, you know, that, um, and he overnighted it to me when he found out my cane had gotten broken, Amazing, uh, which was a beautiful thing. I mean, it was just amazing. So yeah, I, um, I look at that and I, you know, I just, uh, you know, that's why this COVID was so hard for so many people, you know, and, um, I was so active during all the time with, with, with the recovery in the program. I mean, I was literally out all the time at meetings, at shows, you know, out eating with friends, out with the comedians in, in L.A., you know, like hanging out with all the comedians in recovery, totally. and even the ones that aren't, you know what I mean? And just spending tons of time with the people out of here because I just love it. You know, I love comedy. I love music. I mean, so the beauty of living out here for me has always been like, wow, I'm around everything and everyone that I really love to be around. And so many of us are in the program or in recovery that there's just, we all share that. Yeah, there's just so much camaraderie. Everybody's together and then COVID hits and everybody's just alone. And then of course, so then I'm, I'm by myself. We're on lockdown. People by themselves isolating is the worst thing. Isolation is the worst thing for people in recovery. It's just, for me, it was terrible. You know, um, I mean, I, I, I will say this. I'd rather be alone than with, not with somebody you don't really want to be around or drive you out of your mind or someone who's toxic. Totally. Um, and, and, you know, I have, you know, obviously I, I was talking to my friend last night who's a musician and his wife 
is an Emmy award winning actress and they're really close friends of mine and they're out here in LA. And we were talking about our friends that some people made it through this COVID and some relationships imploded because people have to be with each other and it's very intense. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. So, yeah, I, I, so, have, I have I have a two year old during this fucking pandemic, and and I had a, and I got COVID, so I understand. I've been housebound, fucking with my family, and and the bad days, you wonder how you're going to make it through. I get it. Um, what I'm curious about, it's because like obviously this came to a head, and uh, and and you wound up picking up. Were there any thoughts of picking up in your travels? I mean, did you have thoughts about picking up, or did the relapse just come out of nowhere? Well, the relapse came out of nowhere. I was, I was, you know, the relapse came out of stress. Okay. I mean, I think the reality is that although uh, a, a good percentage of my family is working again, at that point, everybody had been laid off. Right. Um, so I, it was just so absolutely stressful. And I won't lie that the first Zoom meeting, uh, meeting that I went on, recovery meeting, uh, was just... I I didn't have a good experience with it. You no, know? me neither. I, me neither. I, I, I hate can't it. stand I, it. Yeah, I hated it, but I learned in treatment to kind of wor- get warm to it. So now I am good with it, and it's one of the ways I get to see a lot of my brothers. You know what I mean? Like my home group and a lot of people that I love, and they're my friends. You know, so although I like I said, I love that I've been able to go out and do some social distancing meetings in here in Los Angeles and Silver Lake. I, I, you know, one friend i know her she, she's a she's one of my great friends she's like a costume designer a wardrobe person in film and tv she's been having small meetings you know like me her a couple comedians and some other people and then um you know i've been also doing this one at silver lake uh which has been going on for a long time this big outdoor one and it's just social distancing now and i've been over there with a few musicians uh and i i love that one you know as well but yeah zoom i was really i i i i, I was I was like, fuck this shit. This is, you know, because I was the first meeting I did. Let me explain it to you. I was pouring my heart out on that meeting. I was saying, you know, I'm really concerned for my loved ones and my family. I'm concerned for the mental health of my family. And financially, with everybody losing their job, I'm picking up all this. And even with, you know, like my work slowed down. And a lot of things that I had scheduled were, were just canceled. You know what I mean? So... So that changed my, you know, my financial situation like so many other people, um, you know, and a lot of people like, you know, there's people I worked for where you did have to take cuts because it was only fair. I mean, what people were dealing with, you know, so, totally. and, you know, me and I'm like and I did. I, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I just ro- rolled with it with, you know, with people because, you know, I, there were certain people that I know that their business shut down and they had to. uh cut my cut my my pay on some things and i was like you know understandable i mean understandable you know just kind of cut you got to power through and not easy I, I feel for the people in the country right now everything that they're going through i mean i you know i just like my heart goes out to, to the families and the people and like you said with like you i was talking to uh like the writer from rolling stone who did the this, this second story on me that came out about my relapse and recovery and i I know that then, um, he has, a, you know, as children and I, I, you know, with you having a two year old, I know it's like, I just think about you and your wife and say to myself, God, I, I you know, I, I give you so much credit <laughs> and for all young parents out there. Right. You know what I mean? I really do because I know it's just what, I mean, nobody saw this coming and it's just, a, I mean, a, a life adjustment and just trying to keep 
your children busy and sure you know and just you know continuing an education and dealing with the mental anguish of not having the contact with their friends and you know what I'm talking about. Just trying yeah. to be positive, trying to look at it as a positive thing that you get this, that, you know, you, everyone says, oh, I'm working all the time before COVID. I'm never home. My family needs time together. And then boom, you have nothing but family time and it becomes hard. It, it's like trying to, to stay positive in it. Um, what I wanted to know, because our audience is, is a bunch of addicts and alcoholics in and out of recovery. I wanted, if you didn't mind, to walk us through what happened with the relapse? Like, what was right, the first yeah, thing I'll you did? Like, with it. Yeah, please. I'll give, it, I'll give it to you straight. I don't have any problem with it. I mean, I've been very transparent. I always am. So here's my thing. Um, you know, I was working on, I was. I started doing this show, um, streaming a show called um, In a Lonely Place with Matt Pinfield. And yes. I named it after, you know, I'm still doing it. I, I literally am doing it right like later today. But I mean, I'm, uh, so I've been doing that show and it was a thing that I could put together with, my friends that were doing charity for Music Cares because Music Cares has always been so good to me with with treatment and you know just helped so many of my other friends and other people out there uh, that needed treatment and needed help and uh, so I wanted to do something positive and be of service but I was starting to get really antsy and I was just really angry at the, I was starting it's very it's not me I'm not that guy who gets angry and, you know, like starts, you know what I'm talking about, gets nutty conspiracy theories. Yeah. I mean, I mean, although, you know, I've listened, there's some, you know, a lot of times where there's smoke, there's fire. Some of the conspiracy theorists uh, are spot on or there, there's certainly reasons, there's some merit behind the things that they're saying. So like, I mean, I don't dismiss that in any way. Um, I've, you know, I've got a lot of questions about a lot of things during this whole COVID to be honest with you. Totally. But, but I was, starting to just get fucking angry. It was the anger. Here's the other thing that us recovering addicts and alcoholics have to think about. One of my biggest enemies is resentment. You yeah. know what? And I started to think about people that had wronged me, whether it was in a relationship or whether it was, you know, professional somebody who fucked me over, uh, that, you know, like, uh, and owed me money or, you know, or something else that they had done. Something, something just really shitty. So with all that free time, I started to stew on those things. Now, one of the things we learned in recovery is resentment is our enemy. You know what I mean? It's definitely one of the big triggers. Yes. So the number one offender, <laughs> they say resentment is the number one offender and you were pissed off. I hear you. This makes sense yeah. to me. I get it. No, I was super pissed. I was pissed at certain people, uh, past relationships. I was pissed off, uh, at a bunch of things. And I was certainly pissed off at, uh, at the world at that moment for, you know, this and for the entire, you know, everything that we were going through. And it's very, I'm a very positive person. I, I always try to look for the positivity of things. So as this negativity and resentment started to creep in, um, I walked across the street and uh, to where there's a, a, like a liquor store, convenience store, and I picked up a bottle of vodka and I I went home and I started to drink it and I really couldn't believe that you know like I hadn't taped the tape all the way through because I do know better and like there was this voice telling me, you know this is going to end terrible, right? And then, it, and then on the other side of it, I'm going, yeah, you're probably right. Right. Uh, and it does. It always ends terrible. So 
Um, you know, I, I'm an advanced alcoholic. I, you know, I've, you got to remember, after DJing in nightclubs for all those years, being out, hanging out with all, all these different artists for years, partying with different people, it's, you know, the party, the par- party aspect of it is way past that. It's long gone. Um, and because it's such a progressive disease that when I start drinking vodka, that within a you know short period of time, I'm dependent on that vodka. Totally. And it's not even getting fucked up. It's just one of those things where it takes you to the point where you're drinking in the morning, you're drinking in the middle of the night, and you're just drinking to maintain and not have shakes. How, you know quickly, I mean? how quickly did it happen from the, first, from the first bottle to you're drinking in the morning? Was it right away? Uh, it was in like it was, it was within like six days, yeah. Right, and then I continued drinking for another four or five, and then you know, like, but then my friends could tell; they just knew um, by my conversations, by my tone and my voice. My friends aren't stupid; neither are my family. Um, uh, you know, so one of them reached out and said, "Look, man." You know, I know you relapsed, so we got to do something about it. I just don't want you to go down this road. Your health can't, your body can't handle it. The other thing that you got to remember is that because of the accident, because of all the things that have happened to me physically, it was affecting that again. Like my leg was starting to swell up. All this stuff was happening that was all bad. Sure, the um, alcohol is terrible for physical health, right? It's fucking the worst. It's the worst. How How much time had you put together before the relapse? Like the last, the last recovery run before the relapse, how much time had you gotten together? Uh, literally about a year and a half. Right. I mean, yeah, it had been a while. You know what I mean? So I, also think, I also think like in your story, you know, you started obviously young in nightclubs, DJing, living your dream. And, and, you know, they don't call it sex, drugs, and rock and roll because there aren't sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, you were doing it all. And... Um, and and I guess you you had a bunch of relapses along the way, right? Because you would get, so that so that's <laughs> yeah. interesting. Like I mean, for me, I was uh, you know I found weed when I was in my twenties. I found heroin soon after, and I didn't stop until I was thirty five. And then I still kept doing drugs until I was forty one. So I never had a proper relapse because I never found sobriety. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, right. When you found when you would have sobriety and you would relapse. And, and there's no judgment whatsoever. I think what you're doing right now for the Dopey Nation is a great service, and I really appreciate it. But can you walk us through what that feels like to have time to do the program and then have this thing pop up again? Well, it sucks for in every, on every level. I mean, you know, because you, the reality is, you know, the thing that goes with, the, with addiction and alcoholism is guilt, shame, and remorse. We, we all know that. We've heard it in the rooms. We've heard it in the meetings. Uh, is it is there, and there is always that element, and you know, there's secrecy too. There's the idea that you're, you know, you're you're not being honest. You're like with yourself because right. first you're hiding the fact that you're drinking, then then you're bullshitting yourself. You know what I mean? So how can you be honest with others? I mean, when you're not completely honest with yourself, I mean, and that's the truth. You know, so it's a slippery slope. We know that. You know what I mean? It's just. Uh, and it's the shittiest feeling in the world because, but I, I mean, I, I'll tell you the, the difference this time around was that I just accepted it, sucked it up and said, I am going to do something about it. My friends reached out. 
Music Cares reached out. You know, there was only so much that they could do um, in these periods of pandemic. And I felt a lot of guilt because, you know, this had happened to me and a lot of people were struggling. Um, and so my Music Cares had found a different place for me to go. I, I can't I won't really discuss that where it was. But one of the things that was cool about this treatment center was that it was highly intellectual and educational. And I think that really works for me because I'm definitely, I'm a, you know, I've, I'm at a higher intellect a lot of times. And I, you know, it's nice to learn. Learning is such an important thing for me. I mean, it's always been that way. And so I was learning a lot more about the disease and a lot about my neuropsychological uh, right, and that, you know, is, and that appealed to you. I think that's so cool. Like, it's amazing, like how different things work for different people. And it's like, and and you got lucky that you got to the place that was going to be of best service to your brain. And I think that's amazing. And and like just reading the article about um, the relapse and your friends rushing to help you, fucking Perry Farrell and Johnny Resnick and. It's like crazy, man. Like that's a and then a lot of other people, you know, that like re- were just reaching out to make sure I was okay, like Tom Morello and Henry Rollins, and just people like that. You know, like every, you know, I I'm so blessed, and you know, like to, to tell the story is that we we had to get me a COVID test before I was allowed to go up there into the up to Sausalito, California. So I was up there in Northern California, you know, not like really right over the bridge from where I lived. Uh, when I was in San Francisco, you know, and so I, I, you know, I, I, we were driving up there. One of my best friends, this guy, uh, Chris Rivera, who works on my show as well. But Chris had, you know, been a general manager at Epitaph Records and Danger Bird and, you know, managed bands. And he's just like, one, you know, but the guy's like a, one of my, a brother. I mean, he put the whole thing together. Now, I have to tell you, so the guys over at Music Cares, who I love this guy, Harold Lawns. He called me saying, hey, Matt, you know, I really think you should go in even for a couple of weeks. You know, everybody would say, oh, starts by saying that kind of thing. And he meant it because, you know, he's, he, the guy loves me. He cares about me. And he was, he said, you know, I think you need to do something different than what you've done in the past. Go to a different kind of place that for treatment will, and that's what it was. It was, it was just there were super intelligent doctors there and that were really studying the neuropsychological effects of alcoholism. And, and that was for me an addiction, uh, just such an, in, you know, it, it makes a big difference for me. So I was ready and willing to go. There was no question about that, but you know, as we're driving up there, we're halfway there. Right. Um, I think they call it the grapevine. It's just one area that's like halfway between yeah. Los Angeles and San Francisco. Sure. And when we get there, Chris and I are driving up, and there's different people checking in with me because I'm so blessed to have some incredible friends who love and care about me. For, you know, like just, you know, they want me to be well and, you know, these friendships and, you know, because you got to be, you know, I always said to my daughters, you've got to be a friend to have a friend. And I think because I've always been good to people and I've, that people have stood behind me in these tough times. And I, Chris looks at me and I go, so you got some kind of angel investor to, to take care of this? Because I know Music Cares couldn't, do, there's only so much they could do. And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, we're doing a GoFundMe. And I go, what? And I was, I was horrified. I'm like, oh my God, you're going to ask people for money? Right. I felt extreme guilt. And I was like, plus, what if people, nobody donates anything? <laughs> that, that's such a tough yes, time. Yes. So, so twofold, you're, you're, first of all, you're horrified that you're going to ask for money, people for money for help. But, um, 
But you're also like, yeah, that's and that's not going to look good either if nobody does. But at the same time, I would gratefully understand it because of the times we're living in right now. Absolutely. So, um, and, you know, I accept it. I was like, well, I looked at him, I said, well, I got a strong feeling I'm going to be have to be paying one of you guys back off for a while. Right. That's literally what I said. And the beautiful thing was when they started it and my friends posted it, you know, like Alison Hagendorf was the global head of rock for Spotify. She was like, she's like my sister. I mean, she was my assistant. I hired her at Columbia records and now she's the global head of rock for Spotify. Like uh, so many people I've hired and worked with and, and like, you know, helped mentor over the years have are doing unbelievable things. Like one guy's managing Diplo. Another guy is, you know, like a big VP of A&R. Another guy's managing songwriters and producers. Like it's, I feel really great and grateful and proud of the people that I've helped, you know? So, I mean, those people all rallied to turn it around and, and bring it and do that for me. Um, I've got to honestly say I was blown away. Right. So you created you know, this community that wound up turning, you know, having the ability to turn the love you gave to them back to you, which is like really the whole point of everything in the world, you know, to be good to people. And if they can be good to you, you win twofold. You know, it's amazing. I'm rebuilding my sobriety day by day now. And I think that's the most important thing is that, and that works really well for me, for me. And totally. And in that article I read about your relapse and the GoFundMe page, it ends with you quoting the great David Bowie from Ziggy Stardust, where you say, you are not alone. And yeah, it's one of my favorite moments. Yeah. Please. I mean, I, obviously I'm a huge Bowie guy. I love Bowie. He was very, very kind to me. We've talked about him before. And that moment where he like literally screams, like sings that, with such desperation and uh it's just the most beautiful thing it's power right before right when the music stops before the end and the fate of the song is like unbelievable so i've always that's always stayed with me it's been so powerful and that's why i quoted that because it's what i think about and it's true people need to know they're not alone out there because a lot of people are struggling right now and you know and a lot of people have reached out to me that i've known from in the past from san francisco new york new jersey um and even here in la that were like look i'm going through it right now you know what, what should i you know like and i was able to help them get kind of through and a few of them like you know get to get the um you know get comfortable with going into treatment you know what i mean and getting some help you totally, know totally totally I, I have so i have a i have some weird questions can i ask right. a couple i have a weird a first weird question is you mentioned yeah. driving up the grapevine right and yeah. this is a weird, nerdy radio question. When I was yeah. younger, I was told, and this, you might say I'm a fucking idiot, but I was told that there was a station in California, in that part of California, that played Credence's, I heard it through the grapevine, over and over and over and over again for like a matter of years on that stretch of highway. Is there any truth to that story? There probably is a carrier, yeah. I mean, I, I would believe that. Here's the thing. I don't know for a fact, but that's something I would believe because there's a lot of small carrier stations, even down in Orange County. You know what I mean? There's like these these little stations that broadcast that have low, um, that, that are low power transmitters and that kind of like go out of people's homes or go, you know, like are people, you know, got these licenses and bought these low, right. low power signals just for the love of doing it. But you never heard um, that story. I did not hear a story, but I, but I love the story. It's a great story. And look, the, uh, the Cretans version is 11 minutes long. So, I mean, you know. The question is, though, Matt, if you yeah. had to pick Credence, 
Marvin Gaye or Gladys Knight or Tina Turner, who do you pick? Uh, you know what, man? I'm telling you, it's a really hard toss-up between Marvin and Creedence because, yeah, I mean, Gladys Knight's version is cool and all. I like it, but it's, it's Marvin's is like Marvin's is the best. But Creedence is also like it's one of the best covers. Creedence did great covers, man. I mean, they did all those things like My Baby Left Me. You know, you got like a little Bo Diddley. You've got all those cool covers those guys did. Ooby Dooby by Roy Orbison. I mean, and that's those three songs are just the covers that are on Cosmos Factory. You know what I mean? It's such a yes. great album. And it was a big record for me when I was a little boy. Fogarty you know was I mean? an underrated guitar player, I think. His guitar on fucking Heard It Through the Grapevine is bananas, man. That it is great. Bananas. And he's got that thing now with his family. You know, he does that thing Fogarty's Factory online where, like, they do old covers. But he's a really nice man. You know, I interviewed him when I was at RXP in New York City, and I loved the guy. And uh, they were a big fan for me as a little boy. It was funny. I remember having, like, an old General Electric tape recorder, like, with one mono speaker, and, like, taping it around my handlebars on my bicycle <laughs> and riding around the neighborhood with a tape of the B of the Creedence album, Cosmos Factory, which I taped with a little microphone up to the stereo and run around the block trying to blast it. You know what I mean? Like, look, hey, man, hey, maybe I can't drive a car because I'm, like, nine. <laughs> but I can, <laughs> you can, I can Creedence, drive my right? bicycle around East Brunswick, New Jersey and, uh, and, and listen to Creedence. Pump, you know? pump <laughs> so, Creedence, definitely. That's amazing. Um, what's up with this detour thing? What, what is that? All right, so detour, what I just did, we just did that thing. You know, you know and, and speaking of, you know, how, you know, my work ethic has not changed. I love to work hard. I did 45 interviews in three days for that thing, uh, literally. And Allison and I co-hosted it, Allison Hagendorf, who I mentioned was my assistant at Columbia Records. Um, and because she's been on Fuse, she was on Fuse. She had a show on WB called Next. Um, and, you know, she's amazingly talented. We're, she's one of my best friends. So we both uh, volunteered our time because it was so important. It's for the venues and it's for music cares and for people that are struggling because so many people are out of work right now. And I mean, that, that is another thing that is just so affecting people in every, you know, in, in every, literally, no matter what you do, I was just thinking to myself, you know, but in music, I mean, it's everything that touches my heart. So many of the people that I know, like it goes from the booking agents to the bartenders and everybody in between the guitar techs, the drum techs, the guy who drives the van. It's thousands you know of mean? people. It's thousands of people who don't get thousands, to work. Thousands of people. And they don't get to work. And a lot of these, especially for, you know, like some of the bigger, the bigger artists, you know, they can ride this out because they've got a lot of money in the bank. But a lot of the artists that are mid-sized or, you know, like are smaller indie artists, uh, those, those bands and those, those artists, probably so many of them actually had already printed up merch and spent their money knowing they were going to live off that merch by touring. And that's how sometimes bands get from one place to another, sleeping on people's couches or in their, uh, you know, literally, I mean, no matter what it is. And it's already, they're already, you know, they're already extended. They're already, you know, they're overextended. So, right, right, right. It, it, it's so overextended. So it's just a tough time. So, you know, and, Plus, I completely believe in music cares and all the people that they helped. And, and, and Musicians Assistance Program ended up folding into music cares. And MAP, Buddy Arnold was this famous jazz musician who was this really cool guy who helped John Frusciante from the, you know, and, and Anthony Kiedis. And he, you know, had Kurt Cobain was, you know, he, he literally had him in his house kick, trying to kick, you know what I mean? And 
So, Buddy, I loved him and his wife, Carol, and they're both no longer with us. But some of the workers from MAP folded into Music Cares, and the Music Cares people mean the world. So we were raising money for Music Cares and also for NEVO, which is the National Independent Venue Association, to help to save our stages. So there's another thing on literally today, by the time people hear it, it's going to be passed, but with Joe Strummer, because I started those Joe Strummer nights, the one that's like Gates of the West out here and Strummerville on the East Coast with Jesse Mallon. We started that in New York City at the Bowery Electric years ago right. when I was still in New York. And, um, you know, now it's taken on a whole other thing, but it's involved with the foundation. So I, did, I shot something for it outside the Roxy the other night. But it's like Springsteen and Jeff, Jeff Sweeney from Wilco and a ton of other people Amazing. that are all part of this thing. And Josh Homay from uh, Queens of the Stone Age. So that's on today. Plus, you know, um, but... You know, anything that I can do to be of service during COVID, I'm doing. And I'm, and I'm trying to help as many people as I can and, and do what I can to be there. Uh, well, I, I really, really appreciate you uh, taking time to come talk to me yeah. and Dopey Nation. I want to tell yeah. you, like, there's this dude. He's like a friend of the show. His name is Jack. And, um, and he's best friends with the drummer from Coheed and Cambria, Josh Eppard. Uh, Josh is the best. I love Josh. He came yeah. on Dopey uh, at the beginning of the summer, and he was awesome. And, uh, and I'm going to play this dude's song at the end of the show. And he was like, oh, shit, uh, Matt Pinfield is going to come on. Tell him about the time that me, him, and Josh did coke in, in New York or something. Do you have any recollection no, sure. of doing coke yeah. with Eppard? Uh, yeah. with, with I mean, like, we, me, me and Josh... And even you know Michael Todd when he was in the band too, like we went hard. There was no question about it. Um, you know, there was. I mean, for me, it was always booze and 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 coke as well. I mean, you know, not always together. I mean, I, it was more alcohol than coke, but definitely. I I mean, I had a coke issue too. There's, I'm not going to try and play it down in any way. Cocaine. I just like shit that kept me awake. I mean, or I mean, for me, cocaine or or meth. I mean, I you know I didn't have as much access to meth but i mean anything that was going to keep me awake longer listening to more music and drinking more i was in you know what i mean <laughs> that's really what it came down to so, um, so and, and that started in the club years when i was djing in clubs it was like and then little like you know and they were telling people back in the 80s and i think i said this to you before dave um oh yeah cocaine's not addictive man you know i mean and a perfect example of of how people used to observe cocaine is if you watch the original Superfly from the 1970s. Now, the good guy is the Coke dealer. Right. The bad guy is the heroin dealer. That's, <laughs> That's so like funny. The general consensus back then. My favorite part of that movie, by the way, and I used to use it for my morning show, and Chuck D used to do the voice for this feature called Matt Pinfield Goes Old School. And I remember there's this, there's this one part of the Superfly uh, movie that I love that I used to talk to Mike D at the Beasties Battle all the time. We, thought, we just thought it was the greatest line. He goes, you're going to leave this all behind? Color TV, shag carpets, eight tracks. You know, it's like just so great, man. I love that. Totally. So it's classic. But, um, and I just want to tell you, you know, one of the things I also hold on to, not seeing these venues like not being able to be out and see music, really. Although I did a thing with Perry Farrell for the Lollapalooza broadcast. So I was watching, I got to watch Porno for Pyros play acoustically the first time in 25 years since they did it on my show on 120 Minutes where they performed acoustically there. So I was literally with them in the backyard while they did that for the Lollapalooza, um, like three-day broadcast. So, you know, I've gotten like a taste of seeing people like Billy Gibbons. I was with the other night from ZZ Top when he did his thing. And what a, what a great guy. Amazing. Uh, I, 
Amazing. Yeah, you know, but I want to I want to just tell you one of the best things that happened in the last year that I hold on to was that I got to go I got to go to Rio de Janeiro to host the seven nights of Rock in Rio, which was like a broadcast for Live by Live. So it was everywhere else in the world streaming except for Brazil. They had their own thing going on. But we were the only ones allowed on the stage. And it was unbelievable. It was so great. It was seven nights. It was, you know, it was like middle like Iron Maiden and Slayer and, and Anthrax. And then it was, you know, you'd have to like, you know, current hip hop pop like Drake and Pink and, you know, things like that. And then you would have... Imagine Dragons, Muse, Foo Fighters, Bon Jovi, uh, Dave Matthews. I mean, it was it was Google Dolls. It was just it was such a great great experience for me. Those seven nights, and you know, when I sit there and I kind of think about how depressing COVID is, I hold on to that trip that I got took uh, last October when I got to go there. And one of the things that was amazing for me, Dave, was one of the producers. It was right before the last night, and he goes to me, "Hey, man." I think you should zip line over the crowd because there was zip lines that were going over the crowd of 150,000 people. And uh, I looked at him. I went, yeah, yeah, I might do that. He goes, no, no, no pressure, man, no pressure. <laughs> so I went to my hotel balcony, you know, and I looked out and there were mountains on the left, the ocean on the right. Beautiful sight. It's dark at night. And I look and I go, I'm only going to live once. I'm going to fucking go for it. And so I climbed that tower and I ziplined across that fucking car. That was one of the most amazing experiences ever. Unreal. Terrifying and great at the same time. Uh, so that I, I loved doing. It was, it was amazing to be there and be part of that, that whole thing. I did get dysentery. Like every time I go to Brazil, and I've only been there twice because, you know, it's the fa- there's a famous one cartoon about me and you two getting dysentery and me and Bono and Bill Flanagan, their biographer, all getting the shits and, you know, just being sick. And then, of course, the first night, day that I have to shoot, I get food poisoning this time around. Uh, and that was incredible because I went, you know, I just wasn't thinking as usual. I was, I, it's breakfast. I go, oh, these fruits look different. This stuff is, uh, well, this stuff must just be available down here in South America. I, I will, uh, I'm going to try this. And I'm eating this fruit that's like, you know, cut and in, in like local water or whatever it is or juices. And by six hours later, when we're about to start shooting, I start getting sicker and sicker. So oh, projectile vomit and diarrhea, like, and then in between I was shooting, shooting stuff. The whole first day I was sick and, uh, and I dropped quite a few uh, pounds uh, immediately. But anyway, but it was still the, one of the greatest trips I've ever taken. And, and it was beautiful. And I hold on to that. And I think it's important for people to hold on to thoughts, positive thoughts of things that were, you know, there were great moments before all this COVID hit for now. And so totally. we're able to get to find, find some more, more beautiful and great moments. Like remembering, lives. remembering like what it was like for everybody to be together. Uh, and that, that eventually that will happen again. Now, I agree. Now the, the currency of dopey is, is the dopey story. Um, and I know you let, you need to protect a lot of the rock and roll legends that you probably did a bunch of Coke with, but could you tell any, dopey story before you go uh oh you mean about just like some of the crazy stuff to some some fucked up drug story well i still love the story now i don't know if we told it last time and it's public at this point because it's been in the oral history of raw of uh of metal book louder than hell um uh, that john and, and Catherine wrote and it's also in my book but i love the one of my favorite stories of me being out of control with cocaine was you know, um, 
I remember at this period of time, you know, uh, guys would be delivering, you know, Coke in New York City. And, you know, I, I, me and Marilyn Manson and Twiggy and all those guys, we all really were, were wild men. You know what I mean? And we, we would party. So it's Radio Enter playing, it's the Benz tour, and they're playing at Roseland, which one of my favorite venues, which is no longer with us. Yeah. And um, all of a sudden I see Twiggy and Marilyn walk in and they just come up to me and they go, Hey Matt, we got some coke. Let's go find a place to do it. And um, so, the underneath Roseland there was like this labyrinth. It was really crazy. Like there were dressing rooms downstairs. There were some other ones in the back that were kind of upstairs. They rarely used. But when you went down another set of stairs past the dressing room, it was like you remember that Roseland was open during Prohibition, so it was almost like where a speakeasy or sure. these tunnels were, and you go through them. And my friend there was the production manager. And, you know, like at that period of time, you were talking like, you know, like late 90s. I mean, I had free reign of New York City. It was very beautiful. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, dream come true. Literally, I walked to any club. They're like, go ahead, do what you want. Go in. It was like, you know, because we were all out on the scene and we were all there, there like, you know, at shows all the time. So I knew about this place under there because we've gone back there and we had done blow and drank shots of Jack and, um, so I told Marilyn Manson and Twiggy, I said, uh, yeah, guys, just uh, follow me. There's this, there's this office downstairs and it's all the way in the back. So we walk in and there's a wall there where all these other artists had signed. Um, all these other artists had signed like some, their name or something on this like wall. Um, now, let me let me decline this call. Um, all these other artists had signed. Uh, the wall, and then Marilyn and Tweedy signed the wall, and then I remember what I wrote on the wall was, music is your only friend till the end, uh, and it was the doors, of course, from when the music's over, and then I saw my name, and then we went inside and um, realized that we both had cocaine on us, so... They're over in a, like one corner, and it's Marilyn and Twiggy, and they've got like I guess they maybe have a gram or something, and and they pour that out, and then I pull out an eight ball, <laughs> which for those listening is three and a half grams, and I just dump that out, <laughs> and we're doing. I'm like, I cut three big lines, um, and I just do one, and Marilyn Manson looks at me and he goes, "Pinfield, you scare us." <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. He said that I scared him, you know, because obviously everybody was so afraid of Marilyn and, and uh, you know, they, those guys were supposedly the Antichrist, which, of course, they weren't. But, um, but yeah, they were. Uh, and then I did some of their cocaine. And, and then within a matter of weeks, I was in treatment. Uh, obviously, that was a sign. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> you know? Definitely. So, so that was an incredible. That's a, my fa- one of my favorite lines. And Marilyn, of course, confirmed it. It's the funniest thing ever. He, Confused, you scare us. Um, Perfect, and it is scary. You know, it's it is. Uh, but I'm just grateful, you know, to have lived through all that stuff. I mean, you know, uh, I relapse was really hard for me. Again, like it was, it was tough to, you know. But you know, I decided to become completely clean with the world and be honest, um, because and just be open. So I can help other people and be of service. It's the only thing that I could possibly do. Well, the truth is, the truth is, you're incredibly courageous. It's incredibly generous, and that those two things are going to save your life. You know what I mean? The fact that you can do that is going to somehow kung fu you into into doing better for yourself. It's that's the most amazing thing about it. I think, like that, when you get gutsy and you get honest and you get so willing, that's how you 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 get better. You know, and I'm just so fucking. Uh, 
I'm, I'm so happy you came on and I'm so happy you're doing well and I'm happy that you get to tell that story and I know it's going to help somebody else know that they can come back too. You know, they can, you know, what? people, it's really, you can come back from this. You really can. And I, and I, and I, and you know, again, we, we lose so many of our brothers and sisters out there. Um, and I, I just want to see anybody that I can help if I can help change that direction. And, you know, I'm just going to count, I'm counting my days and I'm making sure that I do a meeting every day. I mean, I'm doing it every day. And, and I, uh, I had to get warm to the AA, to the zoom meetings because the first experience was really bad. And I think people were still figuring it out, but now I'm cool with the zoom meetings. And I, do those sometimes i'll do a zoom meeting and an in-person meeting in a day i'll do two i yeah, mean why I just, not right why not well, i mean yeah if i have the time i'll definitely but i never not do one because it's so important for me to stay connected in the center of the of the group um and again i my my gratitude i'm so grateful i get up every morning and i you know i do that thing that you know i've been told by my sponsors make a list even if it's a mental list of the things that you're grateful for in the morning, uh, because it just sets the pace for the day. Um, and for me, that gratitude, and I'm very humbled as well. I mean, the love that, you know, I mean, like I said, that GoFundMe campaign when people came and, you know, I want to just also say that I was not paying attention to it in treatment because, you know, my therapist there and the caseworker and my friends were all like, you know what? Man, you don't need to be worried about any of this shit. You got to like concentrate on yourself and getting well. And that's what I did. So I cut myself off from social media. No, that's why nobody saw me post for six weeks. And I just said, concentrate on, on you. Don't worry about this thing. Let, let the rest of it, your friends are there to take care of it. And, and I was unbelievably blown away and just full of love and, and like gratitude for you know, the fact that people came to my aid. And you know, I remember that's something to remember every day. And I, you know, I have two, two daughters I love more than anything in the world. You know what I mean? My mom's still alive. She's 88, man, but she's still, she's still rocking, you awesome. know, awesome. little Irish woman down in down South, you know, and she's great. And, you know, I'm just glad I'm sober. That's all that anybody in my family and my loved ones and my friends want. And that's, uh, is to see me stay clean and sober and life is better because of it. It's so even on bad days, you know? Even on the bad days, it's better than that shitty feeling. Yeah. Oh, man, I fuck. I just, that feeling is the worst. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't want to go through it anymore. Exactly. You know, I don't, I, exactly. You know, I, I've thrown in that towel. So, and I just, there's just no looking back. I just have to do it. But I have to, you know, there's a, there's a balance between that, you know, the um, addict mind, alcoholic mind, and the clean mind. There's this psychological thing where, you know, there's, Never say I got this because you know you know people have gone out over after twenty five thirty years you know exactly um, but all, and also but also have a healthy fear but don't live in fear fear you know like don't let fear overcome you you got to have some kind of healthy balance in between right where you the, the fear is just involved in like look knowing that you don't want to go through that again and you don't have but, to if you don't have to living in yeah. love living in hope is is, is the place to live yeah. and knowing that if you don't stay vigilant. It all can get yeah. fucked, you know? Um, you can. You know, love, love, the love of, of all these amazing friends and, you know, and just the people that have been supporting me that, you know, uh, over the years. Um, and, and then, you know, like whether it's people that have, you know, watched or listened to me and the people that I've been close to. And then, you know, I have, I, I live with, in hope and I live in faith because I do believe in a higher power and I do know that there is something bigger than me at work. And I believe in that. And I just, that's how I live my life. And I just want to, 
every day do that. And I feel great that I'm rebuilding days again. I really do. Because I put it all out there. Um, and I'm hoping it just helps other people. That's it, Dave, you know? Well, I think it will. And I, and I, and I miss Chris. I mean, I'm sorry, but I mean, I just, I can't even imagine what you went through when, when you lost Chris, man, you know? Yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's terrible. You know, every show is a reminder of that, but the other reminder is it doesn't have to happen to the next person. And, um, and his legacy yes. lives on in the show. And, um, and I, uh, and you know, I need to tell you quickly before we get out too, is that, um, you know, when I was in treatment, one of the really cool guys who worked up at that place um, was, you know, a total rock fan and like, like alternative music and he like, you know, like metal, liked everything, you know, Stunner Rocky. He was this super cool guy that I really liked that worked there. And, you know, like I remember because uh, we were choking, he had a Stooges shirt on one day and I had an Iggy shirt on. And, uh, and he was telling me, hey, man, I listened to your Dopey uh, <laughs> podcast. He goes, I'm, I, yeah, I love that podcast. He goes, when did you do that? I go, oh, that's a while ago. Right. But I, uh, so you had a fan that actually works up there in recovery. So I thought, and somebody who has been clean and sober for like 13 years, you know? So I just wanted you to know that uh, your, you, the podcast is reaching a lot of people. That's cool. Uh, and I love, I love that. that. That's crazy. I, 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 know, I, you know, the funny thing is I sometimes wear dopey shirts and like whatever, you know, I wander the universe and I never meet anybody who knows anything about dopey and i hear these stories from other people and to hear it from you it like really gives me the chills and it makes me feel good so i, I appreciate that story a lot yeah i wanted to make sure i told you i was thinking about it before we started today and then i'm like uh shit i gotta remember to, to, to tell dave that because i mean this guy was awesome and he was like definitely one of the people that i that i truly bonded with that was up there and uh, working in recovery uh, in Salcedo. the dopey so, nation is a good bunch it's a good bunch it is. Man. and uh it's a great bunch yeah. and uh, and i thank you so much for coming on and uh and let's be in touch man you're the man i appreciate it a lot no dave listen you, know, you what you're doing is amazing with the podcast I, I love what you're doing it's it's a it's an incredible thing uh it's a beautiful thing it's there it's there to help other people and let people know they're they're not alone and you know that they, they can do this as well and you know, I mean, I don't feel there's no shame because in um, in that relapse, as long as you get up and you pick yourself up and start over again, as long as you're breathing, you we, know what I mean? We've all been there. As long as you're breathing, you can get better. We've all done the yes. worst shit in the world and we've done it together and we've done it alone. And now we can have a good time. And and, and, and like the, the, the possibility is endless, you know what I mean, in our life. And that, that's why I like being sober, because I feel that possibility all the time. No, absolutely. I think it's the greatest. I mean, I'm, I get up and I literally like, I, you know, I, I look up at the sky at, at night. <laughs> I can see it really beautifully. I can see Jupiter and Saturn pretty much every night. And then I, um, you know, literally looking up to the sky and, you know, and there's like, you know, there's prayer, hey, there's prayer and there's gratitude, you know, pretty much every day for me. I mean, it's just something that I, becomes a part of my, you know, my regular routine. Um, and it's, it's important. And I just think about it, man. I think about it every day. I literally walk outside and I just go, God, I'm so grateful to be alive. And I'm so lucky to be alive. I mean, I pushed, pushed it so far. Dude. And I don't, and I don't want to do it anymore. You did, man. <laughs> just, just forget about the drugs and alcohol. Just the accident, man. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that you get to be alive and you get to do good. Um, I appreciate yeah. all this time you've given us. And, uh, and please be in touch, man. I, I love talking to yeah, you. Yeah, I will, Dave. Thank you so much. Let me know when it's uh, when it goes up. Do you know when it when is it posted? Dude, is it it's it's going it's going up tonight. Uh, it's going up tonight. Oh, because oh, it goes up tonight. Okay, great. All right, that's that's awesome. 
Well, Dave, thanks so much for having me on, man. I uh, I just want to let you know it's great to actually return to the show. Yeah, you man. know, and, and uh, let's talk soon. All right, definitely. Anything you ever need from me, please feel free. All right, I appreciate it, Dave. It was great catching up with you. You too. All right, man. thanks, man. All right, take care. All right, bye bye. So that was Matt Pinfield. Did you ever? Uh, were you a fan of Matt Pinfield on MTV? I kind of MTV was at when I didn't have a t- television, so I'm not that familiar with MTV. He was like the 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 first guy, like the first VJ who was really about the music and not about image. I saw a hundred. I, I've seen him at other people's houses. I, I know who he is, and I've seen that show. But like, I never had a TV when MTV was in its heyday. So, but I know who he is, and I know he's like influential and. He, like, knew who the hip bands were and all that. He, like, Perry Farrell and fucking Johnny Resnick paid for him to go to treatment, oh. basically. Um, can you imagine Perry Farrell yeah, and Johnny say, Resnick Perry Farrell. Out? Isn't Perry Farrell, is he sober? I think he's sober. Oh. Um, dopey dream guest, definitely. Oh, yeah. And um, But I just, like, I think Matt's story, I, I find, uh, you know, first of all, I think he's very brave and cool to come on our little show. He said he was in treatment. He seemed like he really enjoyed being on the show. Like, I don't know how often he tells his story like that. Usually they're probably asking him about rock stars. Like, tell us about yourself. Right. I think he enjoyed that. He said that when he went to treatment in Northern California, that one of the texts was like, I loved you on Dopey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I love. I think that's the coolest thing. And um, I I think that anybody who struggles with chronic relapse... um, I think those stories are really important. And what I said to um, Matt was that I don't consider myself a chronic relapser because I don't think I ever had any real recovery or sobriety in the midst of my using. Right. Since you've been actually sober, you haven't relapsed. No, I mean... I had taken breaks from using, but they were, it was definitely abstinence. It wasn't sobriety. And I was, and Sam was listening to the show and Sam was like, I disagree. Uh, I think that you have those 10 years were chronic relapses. Well, he thinks that when I was, when I would get time or when he would get time and let's keep it in my, my story. He was saying that if you stop using and then you start using, it's a relapse. And I I used to think that, but then people in the 12-step would be like, it's not a relapse unless you've achieved some sort of spiritual growth, recovery, sobriety. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, you know, like, since I know you, I know that for it's like a roughly 10-year period of time where you were like in rehab and then out and trying, but you were, I would say you were like a a user who stopped using for brief periods of time. I was like a user who ran out of money. Yeah. And also like I wanted to not use, but I wanted to use more. Yeah. You were not in the same place that you've been for the last five years. Right. Well, I, I mean, I mean like we were talking about Linda and we were talking about Xanax and you were like, wait, you know where the Xanax and the house is? And I was like, yeah, I know where it is. Um, I don't want to take it. Yeah. You know, which is pretty cool. Like I never. you would have taken it already. I would have taken it years ago. Yeah. I mean, I did take it years ago, but I haven't <laughs> taken it right. in the last five years. Right. Um, would you say, would you say it's a relapse to be abstinent and then use, or do you think my theory is the correct relapse theory? Well, you, you know, don't care. everybody, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, but, I agree with what you're saying. And I know people in AA will be like, no, you were a chronic relapser or whatever. I mean, I was a chronic relapser, you know, whatever. Um, 
But do you think you had ever found... Well, no. I mean, last time, you know, when we went to West Virginia, and I was thinking about that today, when we went to West Virginia and you were like, I have four years besides the time I did MDMA in Ireland, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't count as a relapse, um, do you think, like, this is by far, like, the furthest into recovery you've ever been? Yeah, this is the first time I've understood any of this and read the book and understood what people are saying. And even those, like we were take, talking before about easy does it and one day at a time, I never even cared what that meant. I never even looked into what that meant. And all that basic stuff, I never looked at it. So why? what do you think changed this time? <clears throat> um, kind of like uh, terrified of like death. And, and misery. And misery and that I was going to continue doing this like until I died of it. Do you feel some relief in this whole thing? Yeah, I'm starting to see. Um, I'm feeling something different. Well, I, I met with my sponsor the other morning and, uh, and my sponsor is convinced if I infuse more spirituality into my life, that, um, my life will be better. And I think he's right. You know, he's like, you only turn to this to to God and to spirituality when you're upset and when things are bad. He's like, you need to start doing it when things are good. Every day. I, I do it every day. Well, I didn't do it on vacation. But then he said, if I infuse dopey with spirituality, that more people would like it. I, I hear that. You you think that's true? Yeah. I mean, I never, I've been praying every morning and I've been doing like my own prayer and then the prayer my sponsor gave me. And I never did that before. What do you pray for? Uh, I pray for, for myself. I pray for relief from the obsession for this guy and for like curing that feeling with alcohol. Does his name rhyme with throb? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> And um, and then I do I read a prayer that he that my sponsor sent me. What prayer? I don't know the name of it. I can send it to you. I think it's like an AA prayer. I pray to not be crazy. I pray to be helpful, and I and I thank God for all of my bountiful bounties. Look at this. Can you believe it? I can't. I mean, I knew this house was nice because I'd seen some pictures, and I but. It's so much nicer, and the neighborhood is so much nicer. And how about my beautiful family? The beautiful family, the picket fence. I don't have a fence. <laughs> There's my beautiful partner right there in her fancy hippie pants. I told you, uh, uh, Linda, a, a, friend, a mutual friend of Dave's and I who lives in Ireland now said, I see Dave's posts on Facebook, and I'm so jealous that he has the perfect life, the perfect wife and kids and the picket fence. And I'm like, it's not. It's not that perfect. It's not that perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You should see, um, you see Susan, like when uh, Susan going berserk. Oh the, man, yeah. like that, like on and off. She's hardcore. <laughs> um, you know what the Dopey Nation did though, Ray? What? The Dopey Nation. Oh, I do know, yeah. On the heels of the Colici interview, not sounding pristine, Karina Fleming and Scott Wick decided to raise money for me to get some gear. Yeah, I saw that like after it was done. I never saw that in the process. That's a, that was amazing. They raised 1600 bucks. I think it was 1900 Canadian dollars. They raised it on fucking Canadian GoFundMe. So when I called them for the money, they were like, "Oh, you're not from Canada, so we won't give you the money, eh?" We're going to have to tax you. And I was like, "What?" And then they were like they were like, "What province are you from? Saskatchewan <laughs> or, you know, on <laughs> 
Ontario. And I was like, I'm from New York. They're like, well, we're not going to give you the money, eh? And I like freaked out that I wasn't going to get the money. But then Karina Fleming stepped up. She said Northwest Territory. Dude, I wasn't going to get the money if I said Northwest (laughs) Territory. It wasn't like a test. I had to have a Canadian address. Um, but long story short is I they gave me money like sixteen hundred bucks nice. and now I have to buy this equipment. So it's a mixing board. What is it? It is the road cat. I don't want to do a commercial for it because it's say it's very high end gear um, built for podcasting where the phone calls are going to be built in. Nice. Well, that's why I came out here tonight because I didn't like the way that my phone call sounded. I thought your phone. <laughs> Sounded pretty good. Last episode, me and Ray got into a little little snippy thing. Oh man, what happened? We was, were fighting so much last time. Now Ray got upset because I didn't. Ray was rambling like a lunatic, and I was like, "Stop! I'm going to stop this and start over." And when I said that, Ray got very offended. And we and, did that like four times. Well, I that's the you know like if I did that here, you wouldn't mind though because you'd feel part of the process. You were on the phone and you felt blind. You didn't know what was happening. Well, also we couldn't see each other. We couldn't. We were we were talking over each other because we were on the phone. That's true. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful thing uh, to do dopey in person, and I'm glad that you came out. Um, would you like to read the dopey email of the day? I'll try. Are you okay? What's up with your throat? Uh, <clears throat> I think I have coronavirus. Uh oh. Um, Luckily, I'm immune to it. <laughs> uh, you always like make fun of my reading. I know, it, so you better fucking read it. This one? Yeah, it's really long. Okay, and the words are really big. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Hey, Dave and Dopey Nation. Oh, this is what you did last time. I started reading, and then you like stopped me, and you're like, you're doing that all wrong. And then we started again. I think this thing is too long. It's, wait, is this this whole thing? It goes for a long oh, time. Jesus. I Let's can't try read. it. Let's try it. Let's, we, we can do it like an AA meeting where I read two paragraphs and you all read right, two yeah, paragraphs. All right, yeah, let's do that. Hey, Dave and Dopey Nation. I am a longtime listener and a member of the Dopey Nation. It actually says, hey, Dave, and the Dopey Nation. And it also says, I am a longer-time listener. Nice. Longer-time listen. What? Longer-time listen. Okay. Hey, Dave and the Dopey Nation. I am a longer-time listen and member of the Dopey Nation. We actually met before, Dave, when I was in New York City last summer, but for purposes of email, I would like to remain anonymous. I'm a person in recovery from IV heroin and cocaine addiction. I've been abstinent from substances for roughly 2.5 years. After being released from jail and having had some time away from substances, and because I would have been sent back to jail had I failed a drug test, I finally gave sobriety a try. I used hot yoga and AA a lot in the beginning, and then also eventually started working in the recovery field. I wanted to be the best recover recovered addict ever so i also enrolled in a master's program to get my msw i have been told that staying busy is a trauma response but it is what was working for me i was working and doing hot yoga and aa going to school and i also have my 11 year old 50 50 i am heading into my second year and i did surprising surprisingly well during my first year in the program in the past i never could get the balance right but For the first time, I had all the balls in the air. I spoke at an overdose awareness event at the State House, told my story at a few local high schools, and was featured in an article in the local newspaper about my recovery. For the first time in my life, I was accomplishing things I couldn't have even dreamed up during active use. Enter COVID-19. I don't know about you guys, but when my work sent me home and the world closed, I literally subconsciously canceled my self-care and recovery program as well. 
I went through the Zoom motions in the beginning a little and do still attend a young people's meeting that I started in my town once a week, but I literally checked out. I gave myself permission to stop doing the work. I ended up losing my job due to other reasons, and it was a job that I loved and was good at. As part of my recovery, I have been working on the steps and wasn't planning on starting to date again until I was deep into my ninth step, which is the amends. I made one. I figured that I could handle dating. I needed something to help me through this time. You see, men have always been an issue for me, and as addicts do, I get unhealthy validation from men. I also lost my boyfriend to an overdose 3.5 years ago. I haven't been in a relationship with anyone since. I may have had relations with people, but it, actually, but it had actually been about 1.5 years since I had even hooked up with a guy. So I met this guy that is from Massachusetts, same as my boyfriend, and he actually kind of reminds me of my boyfriend. But it also reminds me that he isn't my boyfriend. So I decided to go chill with him one night and decide that I'm going to sleep with him, yes, after my 1.5-year stretch. All of a sudden, <clears throat> all of a sudden, I was hit in the face with this wave of grief. I realized that I came here hoping to find the love I had had with my boyfriend, and I realized that I will always be seeking that, and I also realized that I'm never going to find it. So I didn't mention that this guy, who also has long-term sobriety, has chronic pain and uses marijuana to manage it. So here I am. I just got laid in this new guy's bed who isn't my boyfriend, and I think, fuck it. It's just weed, right? So I told him I wanted to smoke a joint with him, and he tried to talk me out of it for like a minute, and then he rolled it up and I smoked it. I'm telling you this because I was just listening to your interview with Kolichi, and he was talking about documenting his relapse. I actually posted in the Dopey Nation just after this went down because I need to confess, and I had just told my story on Dopey Zoom and sat there and omitted this information. I actually told my story on Dopey Zoom a little baked after fucking said guy on a different night like two weeks later. So I apologize to the Dopey Nation for not speaking my truth then. The Dopey Nation is the most accepting group of people, and I want to speak out for the alt-recovery movement. I want other people to know that there is no one right way to get clean, and it is all about self-acceptance. I accept the fact that I'm going through a hard time right now, and this is simply where I am at. I don't have a needle in my arm, and my life is manageable for now anyway. I know you have often talked about how you wish you could smoke weed, Dave, and I just wanted to share my experience with you. I don't think that smoking weed for me is going to be a long-term solution because I have been doing it every, doing it daily ever since. I am the kind of addict that wants to make a bad day good and a good day better, and the fact of the matter is I can use nothing in safety. For me, I know that I can let go of the pot because there is a solution working a program. I just got away from it, and now I have to get myself spiritually fit again through moving my feet. I just currently started working at a new treatment center, and I often smoke half a joint on the way in in the morning and definitely on my way home. So I guess it may be debatable whether or not this is manageable or not, but it is what it is. Oh, and the other thing is, since this is, since this, I've slept with two other guys. So there were three guys in three weeks. So I've definitely relapsed on men as well. The thing about that is I totally see how much I was not ready and how sick I became. I would obsess over them texting me back, and it had so much power over me. I seriously need to take a step back from this and try to do the work around it. I'm starting my second year of grad school and doing a 16-hour week internship on top of going to school and working 40 hours a week, starting halfway through August. I am not exactly proud of my choices, but I'm certainly not ashamed. I can learn from this and grow. 
It does not mean I'm a failure. I am putting all this out there to walk through my fear and show others that our secrets that, that it is our secrets that keep us sick. For me, I will use over anything that feels like shame and keeping this all in feels like shame. My sponsor, best friends, and home group are also all places that I have gotten honest about this. I'm just another recovering addict trying to find my way, and I wanted to bring you guys in on this journey with me so we can all learn from it. I will let you know how it goes with, with dropping the weed and starting school. For now, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. Ray, that was a very nice read. And there was only two paragraphs in it. Um, I was ready to pass. I thought that um, that email was amazing, and uh, it reminded me of you. I could relate to a lot of that, yeah. Besides the weed. Um, and, and you have never revealed your secret to your sponsor no. about making love to a certain law enforcement official. <laughs> As no. we say, the new G-Folk tune called <laughs> Fuck the Police, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, when are you going to write you know, that I, song? I considered telling him, and you know, that's the only thing I have not told him. I think you should write it in a song called Fuck the Pol- I Fuck the Police. And then send it to him. Yeah, and be like, this is not... your sponsor. I fucked the police. I fucked love, the police. Love Ray. <laughs> um, I told him... What did I do? I told him about the MDMA mushroom treatment thing. I told him some... I told him everything. I told him I was looking at Kratom and... Uh, Kratom. 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 <laughs> Something else. But you didn't tell him about fucking the police. I told... No, I haven't told him Well, that. you hear what this person says. The secrets keep us sick. Yeah, I love that you fucked the police. I think that's like, besides you doing laundry in your clothes and licking the rim of the toilet bowl and flossing <laughs> your hair with a certain person's I've pubic fucked, hair. I fucked the police more than once. No, you did not. Yes, you I went did. back? <laughs> did he use the billy club? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> now, I want, I want to thank uh, this person's email for the email because I think it's deep. And um, and I wanted to say to the Dopey Nation that when I talk about wanting to smoke weed, it's like a weird sort of loose want. It's not an acute want. It's a sort of like missing a piece of my life. I'm not drooling. About, I drool more over cigarettes than I drool over weed. I smell cigarettes and I'm just like, why can't I have one? And the reason I can't have one is because there is no one. Yeah. There is no one cigarette would mean all I would want is more cigarettes forever. You know, I'm I'm so ha- and I'm and then, and it, with Bud, I love Bud, and, but I literally feel high sober. Like I can I can really really feel what's sm- like taking a bong hit. I can I can generate that in my brain just sitting here. Uh how many times have you fucked the police? Twice. When's the last time? A few days ago. <gasps> Did you floss your teeth with his pubic hair? No, I didn't. Nothing like that. <laughs> Did um, man, I do you hate that I say that you flossed your teeth with his pubic I, hair? Why do you keep saying that? I never did that. I thought that was a thing where you found the guy's pubic hair and you were like, got a little turkey out of the no, teeth. I or found something. his chest hair and I swallowed it. It's <laughs> <laughs> close. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about that amazing email? Uh, I, I was reading it going, when is the paragraph going to end so I can say pass? I wanted to say pass. And I was like relating where she was, it is a she, right? Yeah. She, she was going, um, and then I slept with another guy, and that makes three. And, and I, I was waiting for the text and that, like getting validation from getting the text back and all that stuff. Right. I mean, we I can could, all relate to that. Dude, I, I mean, if I text Mark Marin and he doesn't text me back within an hour, I'm like, why doesn't Mark like me? You know, and Mark definitely doesn't like me. Mark doesn't even know you. He knows I me. I know he does know and he, you. But he doesn't like me. 
Um, but I, everybody, I mean, when I used to date and somebody didn't, I, I would, if, if I would text somebody and they didn't respond within a certain amount of time, I would delete my text. Really? Because I couldn't handle <laughs> seeing it. You know, I, I would lose my mind. And Courtney Love unfollowed me. I heard. And that broke my heart. So, I mean, well, we all. Because you, like, you stalked her. I creeped her out. Um, and I'm not proud of that. But the point is that as perfect as I might seem to you and Linda and, and the Dopey Nation, <laughs> I'm just as fucked up as anybody else. Um, yeah. We all have our crosses to bear. Um, and I think that this woman revealing this stuff. Well, she revealed it all. Even anonymously is great, and I would love to know how she's doing now. And Dopey she, Nation... She's somebody in Dopey Zoom. Well, I know who she is. Oh. But I also know her email address, and she met me last day, that summer. She told me. Oh, okay. All right, right, right. Um, and she asked me for a piece of my pubic hair so she could <laughs> floss her teeth. No, not at all. Um, do you want to read this other email? No, you read it. Okay. No, I want you to read I'm it. I'm done. No, just read it. This one's type Here. is so small. and it's But it's short. Okay. You did such a good job on the other one. It's on the bottom. Yeah. That's it. Okay. All right. Dear Dave, I don't really know where to begin. My name is Jake. I'm a 24-year-old anxious Jew from New York, and I have been sober for 138 days. Yay. I go to Zoom meetings. I have a sponsor. I listen to Dopey in order to stay sober. Around eight months ago, my best friend died from fentanyl overdose. His name was Sam. Listening to Dopey and talking about my about Dopey became a big part of our friendship. I have a text from him a few weeks before he died saying, Dopey is my heroine. Oh, man. Ever since he died... What, Sam said Dopey is my heroine? Yeah. That's weird. Oh, it's sad. Because um, obviously it wasn't because he had to get dope and he overdosed and died. Ever since he died, I listened to the podcast every night. The way you interacted with Chris and Todd reminds me of our friendship. Mm. I feel like he is with me when I listen. I cannot thank you enough for what this podcast has done for me. Thank you for keeping it going through your loss and heartache. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris with love and SMI. Severe mental <laughs> like illness. That. SMI. I love that he's a nervous, a nervous New York Jew. And that was like much, much shorter, but it like had like a lot in it too. Now, there's uh, another thing that we need to talk about before we end the show because we're coming up on the end of I'm the show. I'm falling asleep. Well, you've done a great job, right? And Dopey Nation, uh, we love your comments. Please send in comments to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. The song at the beginning of the show was from a dude named Jack. And he has a band called The Jennifer Shop. And Jack is a fucking hardcore drug addict. I think he's on Suboxone now. He's on his way to sobriety. He actually reached out to me. I want to say like a year and a half ago, and he was friendly with the drummer from Coheed and Cambria, and he was the dude that did coke with Matt Pinfield uh, and the drummer from Coheed and Cambria, and he always wanted, he's been asking me to play uh, his band song on Dopey, and I was like, I'll play his band song on Dopey as if he, if he gives me a Dopey song. So that song at the beginning of the show was his song, and the song I'm going to play at the end of the show is a song called Halo from The Jennifer Shop. So that's why it sounded so professional. He's a professional musician. He's the real deal, right? He's not the G-Folk movement. He's the real fucking thing. Um, not that you're not the real thing. G-Folk is real. No, G-Folk no, is not, real. G-Folk is not real. So now you made me say it. 
But I think it should be real. Do you remember? I mean, like, that was one of the best conversations I think we ever had. I believe that a gay folk movement could be incredibly profitable. This is the first time I've been in a car with you since we were driving around D.C. And you kept blasting the specials. And I was like, please turn it down. I have to listen to the GPS. And you turn it down. Then you blast up again. And I got in the car with you tonight. And the music was like blasting. I know. I've got, I've got problems. Um, what I was thinking about was Ray um, Ray was going to sleep over, and he's like, as long as you have Wi-Fi, I'll sleep over. And then I thought about when Quincy in West Virginia offered us that place. Oh, yeah. And I was like, come on, Ray, we're going to go stay in this house. And I wasn't going to even look at it because I have like my own severe mental illness that it's hard for me to look at. Emails and I'm like, re- look at this picture of a rattlesnake they caught in the yard. There's a rattlesnake in the yard, and you were like, "There's no Wi-Fi. It's on a road in the dark. We're not staying there." And then we got them to get us the hotel room. Can you imagine if we had had to drive to that place after the show, dude? That hotel was so comfortable too. I think the worst thing of COVID is no healing Appalachia 2020. No, no healing Appalachia. Uh, there was something. Oh no, Dopecon. Well, that's an interesting thing you just said because Uh-oh. virtual Dopecon. There will be Dopecon two online, online Dopecon. Because the momentum for that was so strong. Of like Dopecon is awesome. The next Dopecon is in Malibu, and it's going to be amazing. It was going to be in, in Silver Lake, and it was going to be in June. And they had we had a host. Allah was yeah, going to host it. Was, it. it was going. Um, that to me, like people are like Coachella's canceled, and I'm like. Dopeycon is canceled. <laughs> right? Dopeycon 2 is going to happen. So look for it, everybody, Dopeycon 2. And before we go, you know, I don't talk about this enough, but we really need reviews. You got to go on to the fucking iTunes. When and- you do a review, does that boost your standing? Like it'll show up? Yes. The way that iTunes figures out their uh, ratings is based on subscriptions, reviews, I think subscriptions and reviews, basically. And so I need you guys to subscribe to Dopey on iTunes. And if you go to iTunes and you go to Dopey, there's a big rectangular subscribe button. So press it and then leave a review and make it a five-star review. And I'm going to read the five-star review of the week because it's too late to call my dad, I think. Even though my dad he's is a big, asleep, right? he's a big ham and he likes to be on the show. There's no way he's asleep, but I'm not calling him. What time it's is it? too late in the show. It's um, 9.42. Uh, he'll be on next week. Look for look for my dad next week. He was on Patreon and the show last my week. My train is at nine forty seven. You're not going to make the train. Uh, we're going to get ice cream anyway. It's called Back to the Future Five Stars B Four Rest. It's from whatever that means. I finally went back to episode one after regularly listening to one forty three current. Now I feel closer to Chris and can relate much more to Christmas and the show in general. Going back to the early days really builds depth in the listener, and I suggest it for anyone who hasn't played episodes 1 to 100. Listening to Chris talk about overdose death was eerie. As addicts listening to this podcast, we are truly blessed to still have a chance to pick up a white chip and start living life on life's terms. Dave and his guests emit a powerful resonance vibrating through the bones of active addicts and those of us in recovery alike. I started listening during my first month clean through a relapse and now I'm about to celebrate one year sober and love the perfect blend of topics and formats. 
by the way, I'm a New York City police officer, and I recently made sweet love to Ray. <laughs> <gasps> I'm just kidding. Spread the word and toodles to the dopey nation. And I think that's a beautiful... That was beautiful. That was like a poem. It was beautiful. And um, I think he makes a good point. Whenever anybody asks me which episode to listen to, I always say... I think I always say listen to the Marin episode. But what I should say is go back to episode one and... I don't say go back to episode one and listen because it's fucking 253 episodes. That's a lot to, to listen to. Yeah, but it is a story. Dopey is a is a story, and it it starts at one place and it gets to another place with a lot of laughs and a lot of real sadness in between. What are you doing? I'm getting my calculator. Why? Two hundred and fifty three times two. No, but but they're not. But they're not because the first five hundred uh, roughly 500 hours? No, the first 40 episodes are like 20 minutes long. Oh. You're you're and then the next 60 are probably an hour. So like and then the next 150 are probably 2 hours. Okay. We'll say 300. What are you wasting the audience's time with this crazy mathematics? It's 12 days of dopey. The 12 days of dopey. I like that. Um, 12 Days of Dopey might be something. If you wanted to binge watch it, it would take 12 straight days. I don't recommend that. And, uh, and I love that Jake uses Dopey to help him stay clean and that his friend used to get high off Dopey. And I don't recommend either. I recommend enjoying Dopey as best you can and let us keep you company. You know, One day at a time. All right, take it easy, Professor Recovery over <laughs> here. Give me a break. <laughs> Captain Recovery over here. Um... So uh, coming up, we have uh, The Jennifer Shop with Halo. And I'm going to read the guy's email before we go. He says, hey, man, first, thank you again. It's such an honor to premiere our debut song, Halo, with you. Just for your information, we can be found on Instagram at The Jennifer Shop. And Halo will be available on all platforms by the time you premiere on your show. Promote. I want to donate a portion of proceeds to charity. Give me a break. (laughs) <laughs> Make your money, man You are welcome to pick As I trust your judgment more than mine Yeah, I suggest the charity I, is dopey I hate that when like my friends go For the next month, I'm going to donate a portion of my band camp To this charity I'm like, you're going to make like $3 I'm going to give a quarter <laughs> I'm going to buy an ice cream sandwich To the fucking children with cystic fibrosis Make sure they get a couple right. ice cream When Taylor Swift says that, it means something Right um, attached is the dopey song and Halo. Please let me know if you want any tweaks. Uh, it's too late. Uh, can you text or call me after the interview in case I'm missing anything? No, I didn't do it. Much love, Jack. Ja- oh, this is what I was supposed to read. I wasn't supposed to read that. I was supposed to read this. Debut single from the new Kingston Woodstock New York band called The Jennifer Shop, featuring Josh Eppard from Coheed and Cambria on drums. Uh, produced and engineered, mixed by Sean Paul Pillsworth. The song also features famed singer-songwriter Donna Lewis, responsible for the 90s smash hit I Will Always Love You Forever on vocals. Bio, TBD. What is TBD? To be determined. Why do you have a bio to be determined? Uh, this is too much. T- to it, TMI. There's too much information. Do you want to hear who's in the band? No. All right. So check out Jennifer Shop Halo. Ray, it was, Who's the producer of this? Of this? I, I'm not telling you. You don't, you don't deserve that information. Um, stay strong, Dopey Nation. And fucking toodles for Chris. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Toodles for Chris. I'm going to bed. No ice cream? Oh, ice cream. And then go down into the basement. Hey, oh.
on and take a ride up in the sky. Watch the airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. City far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had. 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 And these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had.